God, you're inside my head. <laughs> David Morse is it? Oh, are you looking at the it's IMDb right the now? IMDb. I'm looking at the IMDb. <laughs> oh. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinema sins joined as always by the voice of cinema sins jeremy scott hello and from music video sins barrett share hi everybody hi and, dr nick uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> did you go to upstairs tampa medical college too <laughs> <laughs> love dr nick so much he goes he gets in uh like a patient comes in he's like holy smokes you need booze yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh yeah and then the one where homer's trying to get fatter and he like keeps on here's some suggestions you know like if you don't you don't want to put this on that try bacon you know um that's the same one where homer works he's trying to get fat to work from home right and disability the bird that drinks the water it's drinking the water yeah yeah and he gets it finally gets the bird to, t- to to push the buttons because it basically just say why every time. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, it like gets knocked over or whatever and it causes all the problems. Uh, <laughs> ah, the Simpsons. Yes. Uh, yeah, we're going to uh, get into our rants uh, right off the bat. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I'm as mad as hell. You've never seen me very upset. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. We're going to have the same format as we've had the past three times Mm -hmm. um, and everything, but I think we're going to probably change some things up after this one. Yeah. Uh, It's not going to be all the same stuff, but we're going to probably keep the rant in there for sure. Yeah. A lot of the like news stuff and everything recommends all that, but we're going to change some things up so that, because I know that some of you out there, maybe not a lot of you, but some of you out there want to get back to some other stuff that, yeah, we, yeah. that we've done in the past. So. We've got plenty to talk about. Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Who wants to start us off with a rant? Well, I want to talk about the stalker POV. Okay. This is mm. in a movie when the movie lets the audience know someone is watching a character by the camera work yeah. usually outside the house it's usually handheld to kind of simulate a human head and it's kind of like moving to the left or the right and that's all well and good except that these days people are doing it when there is no one out there mm-hmm. they're oh. just trying to set up a jump scare like you get that pov of a person looking and she's in the kitchen and she goes over to the living room and the pov goes over to the living room window and then it's a cat yeah yep. yeah and it's just a huge cheat to use a camera trick that the industry has taught us as watchers for years to know what that means, right? You know it when you see it in television or in a movie mm-hmm. when it cuts to that stalker POV or whatever. Oh, there's somebody outside watching. Oh, my God. But these days, now they're just fucking with us. Yeah. Now they're just like, I'm going to throw that in, but there's not a- actually anybody out there. Or maybe there is. I'm never coming back to it. Yeah. I'm never going to show you who that is. <laughs> it's just a, it's like a way to cheap way to add creep under a scene where there is no creep. It's funny, yeah. this actually came up in uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, Yeah, and we did the Sins video this past October on it. Um, it's not only that type of POV, but it's so out in the open that yeah. there's no way the character can't possibly see the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the, the killer. That because one, it's a small-ass house in Friday the 13th Part 2, <laughs> yeah. and he's, uh, she's looking directly at she's the camera. She's looking at her dog, <laughs> and then it's like, the, it's like right in front of him, <laughs> and it's like, 
don't know what you're trying to accomplish here. If it was really scary, then I could see maybe you could see some branches in the way or something. Yeah. Even then, though, he's still right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so no, but, I don't get it. And, and there's no reason to rely on jump scares anymore. Like a movie like It, which was a fantastic movie, just bothers the shit out of me because it relied so much on jump scares when yeah. it doesn't need to. Like Pennywise is terrifying on its own. Right. That bothers me. Like, it, yeah, they, you can set up a creep factor without that. It's basically not trusting the audience at this point, yeah, right? Right. Yeah. Because the 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 horror movies that are really effective, I feel like, are the ones that you know sounds are you know sort of in the distance somewhere, and like you know it's it it sets a mood, it sets a lot of these things, and sometimes there might not be an actual scare there, like something on the screen that's going to kill them but sometimes just your own imagination is enough yeah yeah and uh that's just sort of not trusting well you you know at this point when the music stops and the camera's static you know it's going to pan over right or left and something's going to happen this happens in trailers at this point yeah and it's just i i got what sucks is i cannot remember the movie i was watching three days ago that did this that pissed me off. It was probably a wrong turn sequel. It probably yeah, was probably one of the was. wrong turn sequels. I, I like to watch shitty movies sometimes. <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit later. I think we have a cue about that that I'll A. Uh, but anyway, that is my rant. I'm, I'm sick of, and, and it extends beyond just the stalker POV, but any kind of camera trick that the audience already knows it means X, Y, or Z, but then you're just doing it to fuck with us and you pull it right back. I hate that. What you may have been watching, because I think I saw this on a Breaking Bad episode. Oh, yeah? Uh, because Even great shows like that, like if they're, you know, it's not Mike Ehrmantraut outside or, you know, one of the other characters, like they'll have a POV outside of a house and peer in, and sometimes they won't even cut back to it. Yeah. They won't do it like a jump scare. They'll just do it to establish the scene, but it's it's in that POV format instead of just an external shot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's a short, sweet rant. I'm done. Next. <laughs> I've got a couple of rants. Ooh. Bring it. Um, the first one is, is somewhat, it's not the same thing that Jeremy's talking about, but it's somewhat tied to it because there's a, there's a common thing that's happening in movies and I don't know what it is. And I think I've even railed against this before on this podcast, but I've just seen three movies in a row that do this. Oh Jesus. I know what it is. And it is the you're late. (laughs) (laughs) It's because like, why do they do this? Yeah. There has never been a consequence to you're late. No, never once. If you've watched any movie at all and they say you're late, there has never been one goddamn consequence (laughs) to it. And they they do it in every movie. I saw it in Kingsman. Yep. The you know she Julianne Moore's in the theater watching Elton John, and her you know her minion comes in, <laughs> and and she's like, "You're late." Well, okay. <laughs> Guess nothing's gonna happen to me. Uh, no, it, it never. It's you're walking into a meeting, or you're walking into some sort of innocuous place where. Your lateness has nothing to do with yeah, it. Yeah, and there are times where like it doesn't even fucking matter that they're late. Yeah. Like like I mean it I mean obviously none of them really matter, but I'm just saying like in the situation in Ender's game, uh-huh. there's a part where he gets on the ship and some kid goes, "You're late." <laughs> and I'm like, first off, who the fuck are you?" <laughs> and then and then the second part of that is it's not like he had any choice in the matter. Right. 
Like they recruit him and they get him on the, like, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like, and, and I can't remember the third movie that I saw in the, in this stream. Was it Valerian? It was Valerian. Yeah. yeah. It was Valerian that had this too. I was like, come on. By the way, I have not once typed that movie's c- title correctly in any of our doings. Like the, <laughs> I saved the script as uh, Valerian and the world of a whatever bullshit like mm. the folder i put it in was titled some other thing <laughs> like i'm never gonna call it by its real name it's interesting because i i get valerian and ender confused a lot no yeah <laughs> it's, like it's, like, see, it's basically the same ender's character. game is an interesting movie to me i really liked it yeah i do too uh but i have never read the book yeah i have and I've i think if i had read the book before i saw the movie and knew what was coming at the end i wouldn't have enjoyed the movie as much and mm. i just wrote something's that says this is something this is a reveal that i think if you've read the book it fucks up this movie yeah it absolutely does because it renders everything you've seen prior moot yeah like it's just one of those type of things where it, it, it felt like a it feels almost you feel almost cheated when you see it in the movie because you already know and you know, by reading the book and everything and it also feels like a cheat and this is nothing this, is, this isn't the movie's fault but it also feels like a cheat because it's such a great reveal in a movie that didn't really set the box office on fire. No. So no. there, it's th- this is a sort of a reveal that everybody should sort of be talking about because it's a great, it's so great. And uh, and I remember when I I read this book and it was like twenty two years ago. Mm-hmm. I read this book. Um, you know, I was like, oh my god, it's such a satisfying, yeah. like amazing, like it makes you think. It's all these different things and. Yeah, Ender's Game's one of those movies that it hurts a little bit that it just didn't it didn't take off more than it did. Um, it wasn't even a hit, really, was it? I don't no, think so. I mean, it made. I think it made like seventy to eighty million somewhere mm. in there. So it's mid level. So mm. how half what they spent on Harrison Ford? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I'm sure he'll be reprising his role. <laughs> In I Ender's already wrote an outtake for that from 42. I want to play. Oh, my God. Not I, stand I, 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 I am under the impression. I think I wrote that same outtake. <laughs> I, um, I, uh, the thing is that's funny to me is the both those movies came out in the same year and his character is essentially the same. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's trying to he's trying to find the guy who won't fight back. <laughs> yep. You know, um, that's a great Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. And, and you know, there's others like we've got company i'm tired of that yep. too and i'm tired of people saying bingo which was also in valerian uh, uh, we also yeah. have uh we've sent a million times so you got to come take a look at this yeah yeah which was <laughs> i think uh, the original uh like first time we started sending that was in 2012 where they say it like five times yeah, or something they do. like they that say it a bunch of like every single time it's like somebody comes down a ladder you got to come see this or you know somebody <laughs> runs into a room you got to come see this you're not gonna believe this yeah <laughs> when you can actually just tell the person yeah, yeah, what's going like, on. i mean and i've had people tell me you know people talk like that and i'm like okay yes when it's something trivial like if my cat is laying in a cute position right i might text my wife and say come in here and look at the cat yeah or you got to come look at this right but if like it's life or death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a mission on the line. No one is going, especially in the fucking military. Right. No one is going, General, you better come like take a look at this. They would say, two bogeys inbound yeah. or a missile in flight. They would not waste that time. It's just a, it's just a crutch. Mm-hmm. I don't even think the screenwriters realize they're doing this I stuff. I don't think so either. I think the you're late thing, I think that's just a, ingrained. It's like it's all, it's already in the writing software. It's like, like yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, like, it's, they, they start off everything with you're late they have to delete day, it. You're late. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's part of the screenwriting right. software. They have to delete it every single time. It's because every time I try to 
write dialogue that says you're late. Well, yeah, I mean, it's tried and true. Yeah, exactly. You got to work it in somehow. I don't even know what it's meant to accomplish. Like, I don't either. I think it's meant. I have a few theories. I've mm-hmm. actually spent time thinking about this. I think it's meant. First of all, it's it's just something that's like done like breathing to introduce a scene or a character. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also used to try and show a hierarchy. Yeah. So like the person who walks up and the other person that says you're late has some authority over the person who was late. I think that's the yeah. main one. Yeah. And that can be a subconscious way to let me know, but you don't need to do it in shit where I've already learned everybody's rank. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, you don't have to, it's just a, and it's the most baffling of all of these. I think that the conversation that they have will reveal the hierarchy anyway. Yep. I don't think there's really, I, I understand that too. I, as soon as you started saying that, I was like, yeah, it seems like it's a hierarchy thing. It seems like that's what they're trying to accomplish. But yeah, I mean. It, you already know you half already the know. time. In Valerian in particular, you know that this guy is is the the highest up, the Herbie Hancock character. Yeah, weird, well, that's weird such a weird here. casting. Yeah, uh, And then with Kingsman, you know that Julianne Moore rules the yeah. roost there. You know, she's in you the middle of that. a fucking Elton John concert. Yeah, <laughs> you know that from moment one when she starts narrating, yeah. basically, and she's talking to those two dudes. Yeah. Like, it's it's over. She's the she's the boss. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have mm. another one, another rant. I saw Phantom Thread twice Ooh, last weekend. Must yeah. be good. It is very good. It's I awesome. don't. I'm having a hard time figuring out if this is your type of movie, though. You know, nothing about it feels like it is. I don't think you would like this movie. You're probably right. Um, for me, I, I love it because it's just one of those type of movies that's so unusual and you makes you think about a lot of these things. I don't think these are like. This is not a, a relationship that you're going to be familiar with. And right. I think for a lot of time for a lot of people, this whole thing like, would this happen? Would you would you have people who act this way? So on and so forth might be a real sticking point. Hmm. And for me, I think I, I read more into it as far as a as a symbolic relationship and everything is more, more than I think of it as this is something real that people do. I think there's like some sort of like out like I think people do this, not the way they do it. Right. But they still do this type of stuff. Man, his method. Did you read about what he did for this movie? No. Like there's some kind of dress. I think it starts with a G that the dresses he makes in this movie are sort of in the style of. Mm-hmm. And they're like from the 15th century or something. I don't mm. know. Some a- ancient design or whatever. He spent a year as an apprentice at a dressmaker's. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. A year. <laughs> and wow. finished by making one of those dresses well, by hand by himself. Well, he looks like a dressmaker in this movie. Well, and like, Paul Thomas things. Anderson even said none of that's going to help him. Like none of that is in the movie. It just helps him get into character. Yeah. We're not having him make a dress for real in the movie right he doesn't need to do this for what's on screen he needs to do it for characterization purposes well and that's yeah that's the thing like his character is shown as very meticulous and like you know all these different little detail oriented type of things and whatever and yeah he probably could have done that in a sleep but you know (laughs) anyway you had something else to say about uh, this movie uh, so i've seen it twice i saw it when i was in la uh i saw it in a 70 millimeter regular film presentation mm. there's actually two rants within this one rant in my <laughs> second rant um but the so the first thing is that i'm going to rant about is if you are a movie theater that pretends to care about the the audience coming in because this is one of those things you sit down there's a guy who comes up and announces things and all that oh, wow. and tells you hey enjoy this movie and all that and i'm like sitting there going oh okay well this presentation is going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, as soon as the movie starts, there's scratches on the film, and mm-hmm. I cannot look away. 
Yeah, can't look crazy. away from it. Um, and that because there's no trailers, I understand exactly what happened in that situation. The the leader in which they built this print on or whatever wasn't long enough so that when a projectionist is sitting there yanking the leader through, it's scratching the film as it gets to the brain part oh. of the movie. And uh, I know that, and that's probably what happened. The leader's just not long enough. That's what happened. But it continued, it, it went away and I was like, okay, that's it. That's going to be all that we're going to see. It returned several times, meaning that they have some issues with the uh, platter timing and stuff like that. So once it uh, splice goes through or something like that, that film is wrapping around and scratching and then it comes back unraveled and everything's good again. Mm -hmm. So it happened all the way through the movie. Mm -hmm. And like, this is a movie where you, you sort of have to have your attention. Yeah. You know, oh, you, yeah. you, you can't just, you know, look away, but I'm sitting there like, oh, he's fucking scratches, man. Um, I feel like if you're going to be that type of theater, you have to be somewhat on top of it. Yeah. And in this day and age, maybe you can never be because maybe they just, it's the bottom line is the bottom line. You can't have anybody like make sure this movie goes through fine every single time. I don't know. But this is an art house theater, but right? This is an art house theater. And this is a, and this is something that's telling you this is something great. Uh, you're going to watch this movie and not be distracted by anything mm -hmm. during the entire time. And I was really disappointed by that. The other thing I'm disappointed in is the 70 millimeter thing. Mm. I've seen, I saw Paul Thomas Anderson's master in 70 millimeter. Yeah, me too. As well. And I saw, so I saw this phantom thread in 70 millimeter. And then I saw it at the Belcourt as a regular digital projection or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know the difference, guys. <laughs> except for the scratches. Yeah, except for the scratches. <laughs> I don't. I can't tell the difference. the 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 aspect ratio seems the exact same. There wasn't anything that I felt like I was missing in this version that I was that I saw in the other version. Mm -hmm. When I saw the master and I heard seventy millimeter, I was expecting a big wide screen. Yeah. Now, yeah, I know that seventy millimeter doesn't necessarily mean aspect ratio. Right. But for when I when I hear somebody say seventy millimeter, I'm expecting this like super wide screen right. that i don't get to see anywhere else and it's still it's still like a 1.85 to 1 ratio mm -hmm. so it's a box essentially there's no wide screen at all and so i'm like okay pta himself needs to tell me <laughs> what i am seeing in the 70 millimeter that i'm not seeing in a digital projection that's a smaller screen and all that mm -hmm. so there's nothing different to mm -hmm. me so mm -hmm. I'm sure somebody on Facebook or whatever is going to say, oh, but here's where you're wrong or whatever. I'm sorry. I don't, I, if there's even the slightest detail that I'm missing from watching a digital projection over the 70 millimeter, I'm, I, I didn't see I it. I don't know. Didn't Tarantino do uh, Hateful Eight he in did. 70 millimeter? Because yeah. I saw that print yeah. at, in Chicago. And it was beautiful. And you may have seen a good version of that. I saw the seventy millimeter, and it was like at it was at the thoroughbred, which is like twenty miles <laughs> oh, yeah, south yeah, of here. Yeah. And like, and they had they obviously did not know what the fuck they were doing. Oh, really? Like it was like yeah, uh, s s some things you know they were like trying to excuse the fucking presentation <laughs> before it even started. <laughs> and um, just and, so you know, always right, a good sign. <laughs> yeah, they were saying something like you'll see a shadow on the bottom of the screen. That's because blah 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 and i'm like yeah what a bunch of bullshit <laughs> you and, know theaters uh, had to put signs or didn't have to but a bunch of theaters put signs up for the last jedi for that 
hyperspace moment that goes silent because so many people were complaining that the sound had gone out in yeah. the movie. <laughs> and so there's signs on the box office that say, The Last Jedi has a few seconds of silence. It's a creative choice. Yeah, <laughs> stop being dumb. <laughs> um, and it, how, do, how do people jump out of the fucking theater that quick? <laughs> By the way, I don't why know. would you leave at that moment? Like too? at that moment, you're like, it's like, oh, there's no sound. Like immediately jump up and run out. I think what it is is that the, and again, it never occurred to me that it was anything other than intentional and awesome. Yeah, um, an awesome use of silence. Um, but um, you know, I think maybe they were thinking there's some special Star Wars noise. And I don't get to hear it because <laughs> yeah. my print went out in the volume. I don't really know because I don't even think it's pure silence. I think there's kind of like ethereal. Yeah, there's, like yeah, there's, there's definitely some like noises. echo or something like that. Yeah, those people are straight up dicks. No, yeah. no, I, <laughs> like, I agree. Like there's a there's there. I hate the I hate the just. There is a patience involved sometimes. Like I understand like. Like when we were in watching Last Jedi and the previews were a little bit low or whatever, we should have come out and said something mm. about that. But when like there's actual like like things that you some things you just should be patient with. And two things I remember in movie theaters that just like it just irked me to no end. I remember Dreamcatcher having an animatrix uh thing on the on the front of it. Okay. And like and like so it would play that animatrix thing. And people would just get up and say, this is the wrong movie or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, do you not? I mean, seriously, I, I understand maybe not knowing that's on the front or mm. whatever. But do you really think you're about to watch some animated Matrix movie that you've <laughs> never heard of yeah. before? That's going to like play for two hours. <laughs> and then like Pitch Black, I believe, was the one that had the, the weird coloration at the beginning yeah, of yeah. it. And and like so so people were coming out saying there's no color on the screen yeah. like like that's possible. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We put the grayscale filter on. Right, exactly. Oh, like, you. oops, oops. We were playing a black and white movie earlier and we forgot. <laughs> we we forgot, forgot to take that off. Um, but yeah, so I think uh, I, I I would like to know what I'm I'm missing between those two uh, things. Like the that that theater that I saw the seventy millimeter, the screen was bigger, mm -hmm. but it it wasn't any different ratio wise. It wasn't like oh look at the, the detail, yeah. Yeah. you know, and everything. And so, I, you know, someone's gonna have to explain to me because I'm I'm not I as long as I worked in projection and everything, I don't know the difference. Yeah, no, it looked beautiful. It, the, the, yeah. one, the the bell cord. I think the digital one looks better. In fact, it's a gorgeous I, movie. I have a spontaneous second rant. Uh huh. Have you guys read about the drive-in theater they're going to build over there mm -hmm. near where Top Golf is? The indoor one? Yeah. Did we already talk about this? Uh, I think maybe just briefly. Maybe briefly. It's an but... indoor drive through Right. Stupidest fucking idea I've ever heard. <laughs> Why do you think that? Have you seen the renderings? It holds like 50 cars. Oh, is that it? It looks like it. Or maybe the rendering, they just made giant cars. I yeah. Don't know. <laughs> if it's... Uh... <laughs> Bring your monster truck in. <laughs> There's already a couple drive-ins not far out of town right. that you can go to if you want that experience. You cannot tell me that sitting in a car with 49 other cars and people in them in an indoor Titans practice bubble building, watching on this screen and whatever they're going to do for audio, you can't tell me that's going to be a good experience. And it's not recreating the drive-in experience. So it's kind of like ruining anything it had going for it. I don't know. Mm. I don't know if that's like the final word like the that's the only way you can experience it or if it's 
you know, like you have one outdoor and one indoor or something like that. I think the whole thing's indoor for weather reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the weather makes sense. So they can go year round. Maybe they have an additional one outside. But you're right. Like the if it if it is all indoor, then then you have sort you've lost the reason. Yes, to even and go. they've got like fake trees and shit. Probably yeah. real trees. I don't know, but they've got like trying to make it look like you're outside at a drive-in. But mm. we're in. It's just a, ever since I read that article, I was like, you goddamn motherfuckers! <laughs> and like, I have so many better ideas that would make you more money than this. Because yeah. especially even if the. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to charge. Maybe they're going to charge fifty bucks a car or whatever. But mm. I don't know how you're going to make money from this when it's such a small space. Again, a regular drive-in theater, hundreds of cars. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. And part of the kitsch, I think, is being outdoors, mm-hmm. having yep. the top down, the windows down, seeing the stars behind the screen. Yeah, yeah, being anyway. able to walk out uh, out of your car and to the concession stand with a movie still playing. Yeah, and like you're out in nature yeah. and everything, and like. Uh, yeah, I, I, if that is the way it is, then that's uh, really disappointing. Yeah. I don't know if that's the way it's going to finally be. I'll double but, Google when I get home. But that's, uh, that'll be upsetting. The last drive-in movie I think I went to see was Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Oh, oh I thought you were about to say Geisha, and I was like, <laughs> what a weird drive-in movie. Like, Not that well, I mean, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I mean, that makes more sense, though. Like, Memoirs of a Geisha. Let's, let's go out into nature and watch these women be whores. <laughs> There's actually surprisingly little whoring in that movie. Yeah, very little. Should be more. If it were to be more entertaining, needed more whoring. I don't think it would have been any better. Like, because originally Spielberg was going to make that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it would have been. Any yeah, better. Spielberg was like, nah, I can't do anything with this. Was this Ang Lee? No, it no, was, it was Rob Marshall. Rob Marshall. Rob yeah. Marshall, the guy who wow. gave us Chicago. Yeah, and is a, and gave us nine. We were just uh, Chris and I was talking about. Oh, that. I've never seen nine. It's the only Daniel Day Lewis performance I think I've never seen. He's in, I thought that, wait, I was thinking of the animated. That's the nine. This uh, is nine. Oh. It's a musical. Well. Um, directed by Rob Marshall. Oh, now, the even, nine was actually pretty good. I yeah, think. yeah. Is that the one with Elijah Wood? I'm not sure who was. He's like a futuristic, like, burlap puppet. It's got, like, Coraline style. Animation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have never seen it. Yeah. Glad we talked about it for so long. Yes. <laughs> You have a rant? Uh, I do. Uh, all right. So what I've been noticing recently is a similar thing that keeps coming up in, in your watches, Chris. Mm-hmm. The protagonists argue before the end of the film climax. Ah. Mm-hmm. This happens all the fucking time. And like it always just bugs me because it, it always seems unnecessary. Very few times is this necessary. Mm-hmm. Things like Moana. When Moana and Maui start arguing and he jumps off and does whatever only to Han Solo in at the end of the movie. Completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Girls trip. That yeah. we just did recently. <laughs> Which is with the most egregious, I think, because of how artificial that setup is. Exactly. Because, I mean, the whole thing is that she sold this picture when... Everybody knows that she didn't sell this picture. Yeah, yeah. She's saying that she didn't. And then that turns into a whole thing. Now, that's almost believable, the conflict between Queen Latifah and uh, and uh, Regina Hall. But then, like, Jada Pinkett Smith and, and Tiffany Haddish, like, start screaming at each other. Yeah. And there's all this shit going on. It's like, let's see. There's 30 minutes left in the movie. Now she's going to do some speech at the end where they all rally together to support her or something like that. And it's like, that's not necessary. There's so many examples of this. Boss Baby was one of them, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Secret Life of Pets uh, was one of them, yeah. too. Um, it has this. Mm-hmm. Captain America Civil War, mm-hmm. obviously, right well, before whole, that. And yeah. actually, the Avengers, too, basically. Yeah. They've all got this shit. 
Guardians of the Galaxy, both Guardians of the Galaxy, fucking Bad Moms, Rough. I finally watched Rough Night. By the way, that was a. I watched that. Movie. Oh my god! <laughs> I, and I like a lot of the people in that movie. Oh, it's bad. I like it. It's like they were. They got together and said, "Let's make a shitty movie and yeah. just make some money." Yeah, and oh, it not makes work no very sense. Hard. But there's a scene right before, you know, right on time, seventy-five percent through the movie, where literally they start arguing, and it's it's that whole thing. Well, we wouldn't have done this if you hadn't done this. Well, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't done that. And everybody's fucking fighting for mm. no reason. And then, like five minutes later, oh, we're back on the same side. Same again. thing with the the night before that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Seth Rogen Christmas movie. Exactly. He, like Gordon Levitt ends up beating up Santa Clauses or getting beat up by Santa Claus. They're all separated and right. fighting and angry till they get back to the weed party. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm sure there are examples that I'm not thinking of where it's necessary for you know this. The the tensions have been simmering this entire time, and it finally comes to a head. They cool off and they remind themselves that they need to be together uh, at the end. Yeah, sure. There's probably a couple of those. But it doesn't fucking happen very often are, relative to how many times this cliche is used. There are ways to establish conflict that don't even necessarily have to do with dialogue. Yeah. Or the characters themselves. Yeah. Like, it just, it's, that's another one of those crutches where they're like, I feel like the writers think they have to have something break them apart mm -hmm. to bring them back together. Uh, as though if we don't get that, um, we're not fulfilled. Where you can have three or four heroes together going through something that is conflict yeah. without fighting with each other about it. Yeah. Uh, and I just, yeah, I just think it's used way, 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 way well, too much. For example, Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2. Okay. Volume 2. Mostly, mostly I've forgotten this movie already. Well, I mean, it's, it. yes, we realize that Peter is like really wanting to be with his dad and he's fallen under his spell and all that stuff. But the whole divisiveness of, of Rocket and of... Uh, Gamora and all that yeah. stuff like that just doesn't need to be there they can be like hey man we really need to save." and Peter can still be going through his own thing but they can be united basically uh, girls trip it has nothing to do with the outcome it literally their conflict at the end isn't even referenced yeah yeah <laughs> it has nothing to do with that yeah and I haven't seen rough night but I'm assuming that the situation that they're in according to the trailer is plenty enough conflict to get into the third act yes, without sick. having a, any arguments or anything like that this is what I call the romantic comedy uh setup mm -hmm. by the way this mm -hmm. is what in every romantic comedy there is usually uh you know, it sits to people who hate each other. Then they find they they like like each other because of some one thing that somebody does for right. someone. It's usually the dude, and it's usually like you know, giving charity to orphans or something like that. <laughs> and then like, and uh, and then like, and then they they have their dating thing. The second act sets up basically like that thread of a conflict that's going to happen for the third act. Mm -hmm. There's always like this argument that happens at you know in the bridge those acts and then it's like the whole like third act is that person you know, coming up to some sort of realization oh i need to tell them this and sorry or whatever and then it'll all be okay yep you know and it's usually like sometimes it's things that you can't get back from i don't understand <laughs> like there's no way to get that relationship back but they're like oh if i say sorry everything's good there's a, I remember uh this is a 
really fucking obscure movie, but it just popped into my head. Opportunity Knocks. Dana, <laughs> Dana, Dana Carvey, essentially, like, the whole movie has been lying to this girl that he's, like, with the entire time. And then she finds out that he's a con man. And, like, in the third act, it's basically him just stalking her and going, I love you. I love you. Look at me. I love you. You know, all that. And finally, she's like, okay. <laughs> she goes through all the reasons why she shouldn't be with this kid. Like, you lied to me, and you're like a con man, and all this other stuff. Okay, you love yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing in Wedding Crashers. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. Essentially, he's stalking her the whole time. I'll, I'll give you one believable example, actually, is in La La Land, where, mm-hmm. where they do subvert this because they have this there's, – there's a divergence of worlds between Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone once he takes that gig with John Legend. Yeah. And even though they're not seen really like butting up against each other, you do see her like just sitting at home when he's on the road and stuff like that. And then why I think this was beautifully done is that she comes in and he's off of tour. Like he took a day off to, to make dinner for, you think this is going to set up some really, really sweet scene mm-hmm. because the whole movie has been sweet up until then. Yeah. And then music drops. Mm-hmm. It's just bare. It's mm-hmm. fucking in your face. And it just escalates, like, surprisingly. Yeah. And then when she leaves, that relationship is forever damaged. Just like mm-hmm. what you said, it normally gets fixed yeah, with one yeah. word or something like that. It's done. Yeah. That, that Even though he comes over and he, and he tells her about the, the audition and everything, which, again, is beautifully done, they're not romantic after that. No. You know? And, and then they have that wonderful scene in the park. And then the ending, of course, which is, is brilliant, too. But, yeah, that that's maybe the most believable instance of this conflict um before the climax and you also reminded me of uh chasing amy does this too where uh the whole time ben affleck is sitting there going well if i just have experiences like joey lauren adams does then then everything will be even right and will be good and he doesn't realize that asking her to do the things that he's going to ask her to do is fucking like ridiculous exactly <laughs> you know exactly and uh and they and there's a really great scene at the end of chasing yes. Amy too where they see each other and 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 that's sort of a like a silent you know between those two sort of like you know talking to each other like you know like we're still cool. We can never be dating again. But Which is realistic. Yeah, That's exactly. how relationships work in the real world mm-hmm. where like you may run into an ex that, you know, maybe did something horrible, you had a falling out, whatever. And for me, it's never the same. Like you can say, Oh wow, how, how are things going? I'm glad things are going well for you. Or if things are shitty, you know, I'm kinda a little bit glad too. But like it's never gonna rekindle that stuff. I had a girlfriend in high school whose birthday was a month after mine, and I was ready to break up with her, but I waited until my birthday so I could get a gift, and then I broke up with her so I wouldn't have to get her one. I hope I never run into her again. That's awesome. She might be carrying a grudge. I was only 16. <laughs> she was only 16 years old. Uh, you know, Chasing, I, uh, Kevin Smith was on Twitter the other day and said, you know, very explicitly that Clerks 2 is his favorite movie. Yeah, saw that. Mm-hmm. And I uh, mentioned something else that was the most fun to make. Um, but uh, I don't think he talks about Chasing Amy as like one of his favorite. And I think really it probably is the best thing he's done. I, I think it is. I, I That's the best movie. I think the f- movie that's most watchable is Jane Silent Bob's. Right. Back. Yeah, for, for very different reasons. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And, uh, and, and then after that, I would put his Clerks there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Clerks 2, man, it just, there's there's funny moments in Clerks 2, for yep. sure. 
but I, I don't know. I get, I get, I get kind of like, I don't know. It, it's, it starts to really be a put off with the donkey show yeah, and, yeah. The, and the, the, the Christian kid that keeps like, yeah. you know, just being really awkward about pussy troll and all that type of stuff. I just, that, that I like, okay, let's move on. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's exactly. a lot of that in clerks too. Yeah. Like, yeah. He said clerks two is his favorite of the movies he's made. And red state is the one he thinks is the best. That's right. Yeah. And uh red state was enjoyable. I didn't for, hate for what it. it was. Yeah. It was, it was definitely not a typical Kevin Smith kind mm. of thing. Well, that's the thing I like about red state is that it, it, sort of stretched him out and everything he was able to go and i'd, I'd put red state pretty high up yeah. on his list too um because it's just it's not the best movie in the world but for what he's trying to do there and especially what he was trying to do behind the scenes with red state sure he's trying to distribute it on his own and not worry about the studios and everything i was really really impressed with what he did with that even though it's not like a movie, like, I got to watch this every yeah, day yeah, or yeah. anything like that. I saw on Reddit the other day, I don't remember which movie it was. It was probably Chasing Amy, but early in his career, and I had forgotten all about this, but, like, there were people protesting? No, it was uh, Dogma. They were protesting oh, yeah, Dogma, yeah, yeah. and he got interviewed on the local news as a protester. Like he, oh, right. he went oh, out wow. there. I'll have to find and send you this link. But the news interviewed him, not realizing he was the director of the film, and he's saying the same shit all these other people are saying about how terrible this film is. Keeping a straight face, it made me love him even more. The subtitle it's, is Kevin S. This is this is a tangent, but I was watching uh, some like like you know uh, I guess supercut of like best. Um, I don't know, comebacks or something like that to interviewers or whatever. One of them wasn't necessarily a comeback. It was, I mean, I guess it was, but this guy's about to interview Samuel L. Jackson, and it, I guess it's right after the Super Bowl, and he says something like, what would you think about that Super Bowl ad? And he's, and Samuel Jackson's like, what, what Super Bowl ad? <laughs> because he wasn't in the Super Bowl ad. Oh. And he said, he said something like, you talking about the that movie with Lawrence Fishburne? He's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, not all black people look alike, man. And the guy was like sitting there going, yeah, yeah, I, I messed that up. I don't know, I I, I messed that up. <laughs> you want to do some news? News on the mark. Stand by for news. News in the news. <laughs> Stand by for news. Were you recording when I was in here by myself and you guys were out there? No. Good. Yeah. I may or may not have done an operatic version of Ed Sheeran's Perfect. Oh, nice. Mm. <laughs> the Andrea Bocelli version? Yeah, no, more just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, so the, I was reading that the Star... Like, I got a couple here about Star Wars The Last Jedi, in fact. So Star Wars The Last Jedi is not doing well in China. Mm -mm. It's not doing well at all. Mm -mm. Like it, In fact, the three Star Wars that they've come out with, The Force Awakens did the most business. But even it sort of like trailed off and did nothing. And then Rogue One it went and like dropped some more. And then now this Last Jedi has dropped even more. And it made $28 million on its opening weekend, made $2 million the following week. Jesus um and it's an interesting study into cultures I as agree. far as movies movies are concerned apparently back when the original star wars trilogy came out china was basically didn't ever watch those movies mm -hmm. they didn't have that you know all of us in here grew up with star wars uh and knowing the mythologies and all these other type of things that are going on Ch chinese people basically didn't 
Right. Um, so they don't have that all like ingrained into them. And apparently, and I haven't really noticed this. I mean, I, you have to really know a lot about those, that original trilogy when you're watching force awakens and last Jedi and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So well, they it's don't also just not the juggernaut to them. If mm-hmm. they've never, if they've never seen the, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I made. I think I made the crack that Last Jedi didn't even need to put out trailers, and it would have made a shit ton of money here because it was Star Wars. So they don't have that cultural connection, so they're looking at whatever the marketing is. But I, I, I just think that's really interesting because, um, because yeah, they don't. They have not established that. Now I do wonder, like, so I, they have to have seen most a lot of these, I, and it does sound like. I'm being insensitive here. But a lot of these people <laughs> have probably seen the original Star Wars. At sure, this point. sure. I mean, you, even accidentally, you would have to. But they weren't wrapped up in that, like just it being everywhere and like having seeing people play with toys and all other type of stuff. It 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 requires a little bit more, I think, to get ingrained into your system and everything. And we grew up through that. Mm-hmm. They didn't. So you know maybe they're establishing i don't know it's hard to establish uh, a, a new base of fans when the new movies require you to really be on board with the original trilogy as well i guess so it's the difference between 40 years of influence versus 20 years essentially because i assume that uh, phantom menace uh, yeah. had to have been kind of a big a big thing overseas too particularly know. in china maybe not i think it's really been only in the last 10 15 years that china has opened because that china strictly controls what will and will not play in cinemas in their country and there are plenty of movies that don't get in just because they i think it's like i think they set a number hmm. now and it's been growing but um so i don't know i don't know if the the prequel trilogy played over in china interesting but yeah even if you even if you were exposed to the prequels that doesn't inform necessarily the right. last couple that, means that we've seen. Got a missing yeah, middle yeah, yeah, yeah. part of. It's the almost as if story. there was a piece that was in a, a droid that could project a piece that was projected from another droid, <laughs> and you could fill in that gap. <laughs> yeah, and figure out where Luke Skywalker is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going there for yeah. a second. Um, you know, I also think China has centuries of history and mm-hmm. culture that we don't mm-hmm. and that a lot of that ancient culture has fantasy elements to it uh, you see stuff like crouching tiger hidden dragon and then sort of the magical powers some of the old kung fu or samurais maybe maybe this is not because we don't have that mm-hmm. our country's history is you know guys with muskets and funny hats and <laughs> you know there's no fantasy element to america's settling and founding we don't have that those stories passed on for generations and generations um and you know, maybe they feel like we're kind of ripping them off because yeah, the yeah. jedi are kind of like kung fu samurai mm-hmm. really and i mean there's no denying darth vader was basically built around the idea of a samurai with the helmet and all that stuff mm-hmm. i don't know maybe i just think it's fascinating mm-hmm. because it's down to the minute details some cultures don't shake hands some shake hands everywhere some don't do eye contact just unless you're familiar and some do and some are super punctual and some are not and it just fascinates me how we're all we're all in this together, even though we're completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> completely. You're different. right. I mean, it may be something where this. Oh, that's nothing new. Lightsabers? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know. We've had lightsabers for the last. Yeah, 20, we invented that years. shit. Um, <laughs> the other thing about the Star Star Wars: The Last Jedi that I thought was interesting, uh, Ryan Johnson apparently responded to some people who were like hologram Luke 
is uh, is totally against the uh, the ideology of Star Wars and all this other type of stuff. So a lot of people were railing against him on that. So he did a series of tweets. The first one was a couple of googly eyes looking in one direction. And then the next tweet was a picture of his bookshelf. And then another one was closer to the bookshelf. Then he's pulling out a book. And the book's like, you know, it's some sort of like, you know, Jedi text or something <laughs> like that that people have written that I haven't, I've, I've never seen them, but I'm sure they're official books that uh-huh. Star Wars geeks love. And he opens up the book. <laughs> And then there's like shows a paragraph where it shows this is possible. (laughs) Well, I even saw a quote where he said something along the lines of, you know, the first time you saw Darth Vader choke somebody with the force, you didn't know prior to that 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 was possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nobody gave you all the rules ever in any of these movies. So and I think that's a good defense as well. Yeah. And and it's not like I'm kind of surprised that there are people coming out and saying, no, you can't do that and so on and so forth, even with what you've seen in just the movie movies because in the movies yeah i mean that's made sense to me i don't read a lot of star wars books but it's not like this was something that yes they had never done that in any star wars movie before but you thought maybe it would be possible exactly i mean look there's a lot of stuff wrong with that movie that we've (laughs) talked about many times plot points and things like that that you can pick on I'm totally on board with whatever the fucking force can do because not only, and they actually explain this in the, it's not the Jedi's force. It's everybody's Mm -hmm. force. You can manipulate it in all kinds of ways that you didn't know. Yeah. That is the most believable part of that movie. The one defense I saw him make was that I didn't get on board with was the princess Leia thing. Cause he was trying to explain that she's, she, her use of the force there is not actually all that strong because there's very little drag resistance in space. And so she wouldn't need, to be a powerful force wielder all she really has to do is nudge herself and then she'll float yeah because i just space. i don't feel like that's what he originally thought when he did no that. no no yeah. i think that's one of those how can i explain this? yeah, yeah. <laughs> drag resistance yeah it's it, it it the fact is the fact remains it just looks stupid <laughs> like yeah. sort of just you know just take your lumps on that yeah. one you know <laughs> um all right so For news, I have a few items to choose from, but uh, I did find it fascinating to read that they're going to build a Studio Ghibli theme park. Mm. (laughs) Now, uh, I've only seen a handful of Studio Ghibli films. I know they're insanely beloved Mm -hmm. by film fans all over the world. Uh, There's a very distinct style. There's a very Pixar-like early Pixar-like consistency to the quality of the films, almost where Studio Ghibli can come out with anything. Mm-hmm. And fans of their previous movies are going to go flock to see this mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and you said the Red Turtle is a Studio Ghibli film, right? Believe it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a theme park. Now, I've seen the trailers for most of these movies, mm-hmm. and then some weird and wild shit. Yeah. And I think a theme park based on some of that might scare the bejesus <laughs> out of me. Well, yeah, especially uh, what was it? Is it was it Princess Mononoke or was it? I think it was Princess Mononoke that had all the like weird little forest spirits that would show up oh and i think you're right it's either that's that, one it's, i have it's seen that yeah. one or spirited away well, i think it's spirited, spirited away spirited away also isn't there a theme park in spirited away like it's part of the the story oh well i wonder if they'll build a ride based on a ride maybe he's in like some sort of fantastical it's been forever since i've seen spirited yeah away. 
but yeah, no, it, there's there's some weird shit in there, like, but I, I bet it'd be awesome. I'm not sure if those movies had an amusement park. I know Howl's Moving Castle had the has the castle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. like, I don't, I don't know about the. Yeah, I think it, it's one of those movies that has like an amusement park. You're right. Let's, I thought we, we hit a saturation point with theme parks there for a while, right? Because like, didn't the Euro Disney not do very good? leading to the yeah. Simpsons to make fun of it. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Although, Although we are open for business. Yeah, yeah. And there's nobody there. Yeah, that that was uh Yeah, that there was, is an amusement park in Spirit of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a so yeah, the that a Euro Disney. I mean, it's still it's still at, uh, I think open, it is, right? but there's one that they built that closed, I think. But Japan? Then, no, Japan is doing well. But then the Harry Potter park, I think has sort of shifted the thinking cuz that was so successful. Yeah. And they've built one now at both Universal, uh, West Coast and Florida, uh, and you know they Universal added like a whole Simpsons land to their park where you can go into Moe's and do the Love Tester and all that stuff. Um, have you have you been there? Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It was, I didn't realize that's the only cool thing in that entire park. <laughs> like I'm so not the guy for Universal <laughs> theme because it's all like indoor roller coasters with mile and a half lines, and I'm just yeah, you know fuck a bunch of that. No, fuck all that noise. Um, <clears throat> oh, and now you know they've built this Star Wars land at Disney, mm-hmm. and I think there's an Avatar land somewhere, or there's gonna be. Yeah, and so I think there's an attempt now to revive because most of the most of the theme parks around the US have have started dwindling like the Six Flags a mm-hmm. few of them have closed and they they're not they're not doing the kind of business they used to probably because roller coasters alone are not enough you have to have an experience now because yeah. when i was at harry potter world you could buy a wand that had a chip in it and there are places all over the harry potter world where you can interact with the park. You can go up to a, a store window and wave your wand and like a ghost face appears and talks oh, that's to you awesome. and all this shit. Yeah. And like and if you're a Harry Potter nerd and you're a kid, <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. that, you're like basically living in that world. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I could see, you know, something like a Studio Ghibli Park doing well, but I don't know where they're going to put it, but I'm almost certain it won't be Cleveland. Well, <laughs> it'll, yes, definitely. Uh, my guess is that they'd probably try to find uh, an LA place because, uh, uh, yeah. Studio Ghibli is owned by Disney. Oh, are they? Like, like, like everything else. At God, least damn. Disney, I mean, Disney owns the Let's stuff here. here. They may you. not own it overseas. I'll but. flip the script. They're going to build it in Tokyo. Oh, okay. Makes sense. I think, man, if I went to Tokyo, there'd be a lot of stuff on my to-do list. Mm-hmm. If I was there for like two weeks, I would probably go to the steam park. Oh, yeah. I would definitely go. <laughs> I mean, if it's not going to be built till like 2020. All right. So, well, I've well, got that long to save, save up. Your trip. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I would want to do. I just want to. I just want to see Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the Dark Knight really, really mean. I'm a huge like cityscape skyline kind of geek. Every single time I drive north of the city on 65, I look. That's my favorite angle of yeah, the national nice. skyline from uh-huh. the north. Um, and that, made, that movie made me fall in love with Hong Kong skyline, and it's probably like New York City times ten. Yeah, it's apparently one of the most technologically advanced cities in the world. Yeah, yeah. I want to see the building Batman jumped off. Of. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> There's that too. And I walk around the streets of Hong Kong going. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, so my news item is a little bit sensitive, but there's just been so much coverage, and it's fascinated me. So, uh, right as we were going to see Phantom Thread on Sunday, I saw a thing pop up on my phone that Aziz Ansari has been accused of sexual misconduct. Yep. Okay, so everybody that that we like has some sort of story that's going to come out. I mean, this is basically the the world that we're living in right now. I don't want to make light of that, of course. 
but Aziz Ansari has always promoted himself as being kind of a, a, a feminist comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more so, certainly more so than like the old guard of like Andrew Dice Clay and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was surprising, especially because a lot of Master of None seems like it's autobiographical and he goes into like how clumsy relationships and dates and things like that can can be. And he's been pretty open. He wrote a book on relationships called mm-hmm. Modern Romance. Um, and so there was this thing on, on this fringe web- website, I think fairly fringe website called babe.com or whatever it mm-hmm. is. Um, and this person gives an account of a date with Aziz Ansari. And the content of her story is a little disturbing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, taken at that value, it seems like shit's not right it, it it doesn't it doesn't look right now that's just my perspective what i did not expect was the way that this shit was going to be covered because okay of course like anytime something comes out uh, people are going to be defended uh, or vilified and on two different camps and everything but this one in particular because the the description was so very very detailed that people really had strong opinions about this there was a feature in the new york times uh, that said that he did nothing wrong. There's a feature in the. There was an opinion in the uh, in the Washington Post saying that he did nothing wrong because uh, he. I think one of those headlines was the only thing he did wrong was not know how to read minds. Right. There was a. He wasn't a mind reader, and then uh, the other one described it as a bad date. But let me tell you this, mm-hmm. and this is this is a scary topic to me. Mm-hmm. How do you not know whether a girl wants to give you a blowjob or not? Right. Yeah. How is the, how can there be any confusion? Because it's the James Franco stuff is very similar mm-hmm. in that no one's accusing him of rape, but kind of acting mis- sexual misconduct, if you right. will. A blowjob happened that the girl wasn't comfortable. Uh, how? I, how do I you, don't know. I don't know. Man. How, how? I mean, uh, uh, this is one of those cases I almost wish had never come out, just because it's it's muddying up everything. And I think the the people. Like there's some woman on headline news thrashed this accuser. Yep. You you've done damage to the Me Too movement. I don't think that's true. I don't I th- either. I think the backlash against her has been too strong. Mm. And I don't think you can say he didn't do anything wrong because he got a blowjob that she didn't want to give. Yeah. How do you how how it seems and when you read the first hand account, which sadly it took me a while to actually get to the first hand account because I was mm. going through all these op eds. Yeah. Uh and then I read it. Now, some problems with it is A, it was not very well reported. It wasn't very well written. It, there was a little bit of like opinion in there from the writer. Mm. And so there was things well, wrong with the an, article. And it was anonymous. And here's the biggest problem with all of this is they reached out to her. Yeah. Yeah. That's a They big heard thing a too. rumor from somebody who worked in their office that something had happened and they went after her. Right. And that unsettles me. That, yeah. That we now have publications who are not waiting for news but creating it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that that's troubling because it does sort of lend credence to the idea that, well, can we trust everything in this account? Yeah. And, you know, the fact of the matter is with all of these things, we, we don't have we don't have proof of any of it. Yeah. Yet. I know right. that we may eventually. They're investigating Kevin Spacey on like three different crimes and Harvey Weinstein on several crimes. But a lot of these stories we're never going to know. Right. And that's the whole point of the Me Too thing is that this is to be believed instead of pushing it under the rug like has happened for so many years well man matt damon got crucified and all he said was there's a difference between rape and pinching a butt yeah and you know you have to know the culture in which you're saying things Mm -hmm. and he probably should have said it differently or not at all but he didn't say anything wrong yeah i mean 
the way he said it and the content of it seemed dismissive i think was was the uh the main thing against his tone was more about it than yeah i I think that played a big role. okay and that's you know that's that's part of it and then he came out and just said you know what i should (laughs) shut my big mouth shut (laughs) yeah and well and he should have but and here we are talking about it not keeping our big mouth shut but you know i just just, the whole thing is getting murky and murky and murky and i don't i just well that's the point of this is that if she was assaulted she should have justice right there's no question about that. Right. So why is this being so divisively covered? Is is my point. Uh, I guess maybe because it's so detailed. Um, because they say Part they can pick out and say no. He texted her the next day. I had a good time with you, and she said, "Well, that well, I didn't really like how everything went down." And right. he said, "I'm very sorry." Mm-hmm. And then when the story broke, he his quotes were, "I I took her words to heart. Yeah. You know, we had a misunderstanding, and I felt really terrible." Mm-hmm. My point is, I don't know how you can misunderstand a blowjob yeah. unless you're Chris Cooper in American Beauty. Isn't this exact? But isn't this exactly though what what the whole thing what we're talking about here is though is that people have put. You know, Matt Damon put it very succinctly by saying, you know, it was a difference between rape and pinching an ass or whatever. There's we we do grade certain things as worse or or, you know, not as bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the question is, are we, you know, at at a point now where we're, you know, we anybody who's mentioned is going to have their careers ruined. Mm hmm. And, uh, you know, it does Aziz Ansari deserve what Harvey Weinstein gets? Is that it, that's we're all putting like grades in all of this yeah. thing. And yeah, again, yeah, he should have known by what her body language was that mm. this wasn't cool. But I don't know. There's We weren't in the room. We don't know. Right. I mean, I'm not saying I don't believe her. I'm just saying we don't know what exactly happened. I'm not trying to say that she's wrong or that she, you know, I'm not trying to get to that point. Mm. Where I'm not, I need to see the evidence, damn right. it, Lord, just what a lot of people say. And I'm like, what evidence are you hoping to find? Yeah. Like her saying it is good enough, right? Right. But still, we don't know. We don't know exactly what the situation was. So, I mean, celebrities are probably in this situation hundreds of times in a year. And like one time went one way and this one went another way. Yeah. You know, it, it might be his methodology and it didn't work this time right. or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't I mean, know. it just, it really surprised me this. And maybe that's why, that's why we're having this conversation is this one partially because he's so likable. He's funny and he's pretty well respected. There wasn't a groundswell yet of more people coming out and saying, yeah, this happened to with, in my experience with him too. Um, but it, it really surprised me that this story caught so much of a polar opposite reaction from venerated news entities like New York Times, Washington Post, like coming out the next day and saying, you know what, this is some bullshit. And and, and ultimately, here's another thing that I I take out of this. I'm tired of black and white. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't say anything without there being something, somebody who's completely on one side going, Oh, you can't, you know, I mean, you're immediately attacked. And that's why we don't have good dialogue in this country, at least. Yeah. Because you can't, you can't play devil's advocate. You can't, you can't uh, say, here's some gray area or whatever, because there's people firmly in the white and the black. Right. And well, there was a group of like a hundred French feminist prominent ones that like released a statement condemning 
the Me Too movement and and basically saying they were a- attacking the the ass slap or yeah. whatever. Bridget Bardot was one of them. Yeah, and so everybody's got their own take. You know, at the end of the day, where I w- would like to get to is that no woman is, ever has to do anything sexual she does not want to do. Yep. And I don't think we're going to get there. I think we're going to pretend to get there with all this noise <laughs> going on around it. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You don't think there's still a guy out there who's going to do something inappropriate to a woman tomorrow? Absolutely. It's not like we put a stop to all of this. We may have to do the thing that Dave Chappelle does in Chappelle Show, where he's like dating Rashida Jones in one sketch and like basically coming up with the contract and saying you know okay are you are you going to be having sex with me tonight yes yes i will be having sex with you tonight okay and he's like how about anal <laughs> and, he's like, so he's like, and, and she's like no and he's yeah. like oh, okay <laughs> <You know? laughs> well and there was a whole thing uh, not long after i got out of college where colleges were doing this like consent talk thing where students were the code of the handbook or whatever was that you had to, I forget, it was one school that was very famous about this, that you had to ask, uh, is it okay if I kiss you? Mm-hmm. Is it okay if I take your shirt off? Is it like you had to do all this stuff completely taking any and all passion yeah, out of the environment? Exactly. I just, I never really, I'll be honest, I never really had trouble knowing whether a girl with me, who was with me wanted to do stuff or not. Mm-hmm. I never really had that problem. And I never really pushed beyond what I thought the boundaries were in that particular environment right i don't know how you can have a misunderstanding about a blowjob i don't well, know and and if know. they get and if it does get to a point where you know hands wander and so on and so forth usually they're like nope you know and it's like <laughs> okay yeah hands off. the know? problem is that centuries of this you know male dominated culture have taught women who find themselves in situations like this that it may be scary to try and stop the man or may ruin your career if he decides to badmouth you. I'm mm. not saying Aziz would do any of that stuff or should be accused of it, but I'm saying I, I can understand why this person wanted to stay anonymous. Mm-hmm. And I can understand there being circumstances where famous guy moves in to kiss you. You don't want to kiss him, but you don't want to ruin your life. Mm-hmm. And later on you regret it. And you go, But that's ah, so fucking murky. Yeah, it is. It's it so is. murky. And it shouldn't be. It should be, it should be a very simple concept, but it's, it's just not because men are pigs yeah <laughs> it is interesting uh how this is how this is getting covered it is mm. yeah and i think maybe we should just stop yeah <laughs> well as uh it was when was at the uh, critics choice awards kamel nunjani got on the on the stage and he was like i think as men we should just shut up and just listen and uh and that's it we just shut up you know and that's uh, we don't need to say anything we need to contribute anything you know just listen uh how about some recommendations recommendations Totes amazeballs. They're great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. I got one. What do you got? I got a movie called Cold Souls. Okay. Cold seen this movie? Souls. Paul Giamatti. He's married to Emily Watson. Uh-huh. I don't know. The girl from Red Dragon. I think that's her. Yeah, yeah, Fascinating premise. David Strathairn's in it. Um, basically, Paul Giamatti is playing Paul Giamatti. And it's like a fictionalized version of himself, but... It's him. He's, mm-hmm. His name's Paul Giamatti. All the films he's been in, many of them are referenced. Uh, and he's doing this play, and he's basically lost his mojo as an actor. Hmm. And kind of like Total Recall and Arnold at the Recall Place, he finds himself at this fant- or, or like a Eternal Sunshine. Eternal Sunshine. He hmm. finds himself at this place that promises fantastical technology, where they can extract his soul. His soul has become twisted, and they need to extract it 
and let him live without it for a couple of weeks to reset and then put it back in and he'll find his mojo again. And there's like the souls are kept in these glass jars and like he's looking at there's like they're all around the office of David Strathair in like a, a museum almost. He's like, that one was a 13th century Mongolian warrior or whatever. <laughs> and this was a this is a celebrity or what have you. And so he reluctantly goes through with it. And you see him going through his day to day because he basically turns into this blank slate. Like, I feel pretty good. I don't really feel anything. I'm mm-hmm. just kind of confused. And his wife pretty quick knows something's wrong with him. Um, and he confesses to her what he's done. And she's kind of a little bit horrified that he would remove his soul without telling her. He goes to get his soul back in and they've misplaced it. Huh. Um, and I'm basically giving away too much of the movie now. Uh-huh. But I have to for the premise sake. Um, <clears throat> they didn't misplace it. They're running an underground soul market. <laughs> And there's a a really wealthy gangster criminal Russian guy whose hot model girlfriend is on a soap opera and wants to be a better actress. So they bought Paul Giamatti's soul and put it in her. (laughs) And she loves it. And so basically, Numi Rapace is in this, and Uh she's a mule. So she basically gets souls put in her, goes across the ocean, uses a fake fingerprint thing, and a fake name to come into the country and then the soul is delivered and she does the same thing going back. She's mm. like a soul mule. Um, <clears throat> the premise is why I'm so excited about this because I don't think the movie's all that great. Uh, oh, yeah. I enjoyed watching That's it. That's a great premise. It's kind of like in time. Uh-huh. Great premise. Execution not quite up to <laughs> exactly. par. Now, I can always watch Paul Giamatti. Right. And the more schlubby and depressed he gets, the better, in yeah, my yeah. opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, he has to go to Russia to try and convince this guy to let him have his soul back. The guy says no. They kidnap the girl. They forcefully take her soul out, put it back in Giamatti. And then at the end, Numi Repace found uh, he goes to buy Numi Repace's original soul back for her as uh-huh. a kind gesture because she helped him so much. And uh, she doesn't have any room left because every time you take a soul out, a little fragment is left behind. And she's been a mule so many times. She's like 95% full of soul fragments. It's like Voldemort. And she, yeah. And she'll crisis. never have her soul back. <laughs> anyway... I had never heard of this movie. No. When did it, when did this come out? Uh, 20... 2009. Yeah, okay. 2009. Interesting. Uh, I, I don't know who wrote it, directed it. Um, it's just one of those things where I'm flipping through the movie channels. If I see a title I don't recognize, I'll go, oh, who's in this? Paul Giamatti. All right, well, I'll check this out. And then I, I got hooked by that premise. Because nothing else about the movie is like set in the future. It's mm-hmm. like basically real time. But they have the ability to extract your That's soul. That's interesting. It's got a little bit of like being John Malkovich. A little it bit. Sounds like it in there. It's too. not played anywhere near as quirky. Um, it's played more as a drama. Huh. It just has this cool premise underneath it. Interesting. Looks like somebody named Sophie Barthus or Barths uh, wrote and directed it. Um, really, the on- only one of the only high profile movies she has on her resume. Uh, Madame Bovary did an, an adaptation of Madame Bovary right. in 2014. But uh, yeah. There you go. Anyway, there you go. I know you guys like you some Giamatti. Yeah, no, totally. uh, I think I briefly heard about this because of him playing himself, essentially, uh, way back when this came out and everything, and I just just didn't have an outlet to go watch it at the time, so. All right, recommend me something. Um, So, I don't get into uh, network sitcoms, and I would have never watched this movie if it wasn't for the fact that at the Critics' Choice Awards movie, TV show, I, I was at the table of the people who produce and act in fresh off the boat oh yeah i had never heard of the show before which was so disappointing to me because 
I can't relate to. I mean, now I had seen Randall Park before. He's in the interview. He's Kim Jong Un. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, he's also in Veep. Uh, he's like one of the candidates that goes up against Selena Meyer. Uh, and he's in a ton of things. You've seen Randall Park like in a ton of comedies before. Um, but he was at the table, and the woman who plays his wife, Constance Wu, was at the table. And then a couple producers, really funny guys, just like just like hanging. They they were like talking to us, and it was just me and Aaron at the table and everything, talking to us and everything and everything. And so, I mean, immediately I was like, I'm sorry to say I've never seen your show. Where Mm. can I, where can I see it and all that? And he was like, it's ABC and uh, all that. Uh, So it was unfortunate mainly now because I started watching the show and like now like love these characters and everything. Now (laughs) it would have been nice to be like, you know, like I love this and that and whatever about the show. And I don't watch sitcoms anymore because I I feel like that's been played out a lot. Um, uh even this it was uncomfortable starting to watch one of these because i haven't in so long most of the most comedies i watch are like hbo and you know yeah. like there there's a little bit more edge to them this has really no edge right. at all it's a family comedy uh but i got into it pretty quickly it's it's uh it's really funny it's uh, it's uh, uh covering this asian family as they move from washington dc to orlando and the father Randall Park wants to open up his own restaurant that's basically Golden Corral, and like people are like, you know, it's definitely Golden Corral. No, it's totally not Golden. <laughs> and in the in the show, they call it Golden Saddle to uh-huh. you know confuse you know what to not do uh, trademarks and stuff like that. But um, one of the fun, one of the early funniest jokes though is that is that uh, Constance Wu plays the plays the wife, and she's like the mom, and she's like uh, helping him helping him run the restaurant. And uh, Paul Shear is playing a, um, a like the host, and uh-huh. he's like a terrible host or whatever. But she's like this real like you know we need to save money, we need to do we need to really tighten. So it's like any little any little like uh, cost in the restaurant, she's like she's like hawking it. Like you know it's like Randall Park says something about like clogging up the salt and pepper shaker so people can't like put more salt and pepper. <laughs> and then but there's a point where she she's like turned around and she goes, he's like is he eating a crouton? Like he could, she could hear it all the way across the, <laughs> and like it was, it was talking about Paul Shear eating a crouton. And like, he's, he's like, he's like, he stole a crouton and he's, and he's like, he comes up on it and he's obviously keeping his mouth closed. <laughs> and she, go, and he's like, he's like, he's like trying not to bite it. And she goes, you're trying to dissolve the crouton. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's it, it it's just it's stuff like that and the the kids in it are really good too the kids are really funny it's mainly this it's mainly this one kid that's his story he's it, it's kind of got an everybody hates chris um malcolm in the middle mm-hmm. type of feel to it and everything but it's mainly following this kid and like sort of his adventures through school and everything but the parents man they're so funny and they got nominated for their work you know and uh and being at this table with constance Wu and 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 randall park like i was hearing stuff that she was saying and everything i was like god she is funny man yeah. she is funny man and like <laughs> i can't wait to see this and just like the character that she's playing on this is way different from what i saw at the table but still super funny nice. and everything so uh would recommend that show i've gotten through the first season which was 13 episodes and then after that they got the full run so i'm in season two right now um i i would recommend it and you uh you mentioned sitcoms being played out like i think i think there's just a 
I think that format needs to die. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to just stop because there's it's almost like everything's set in grooves and they're just gonna like the same stories keep. I actually I'm stuttering a lot, but I actually have a document I started. I've talked to my wife about this a lot of um, plot things that happen in both Friends episodes and Seinfeld episodes, and there are dozens. Oh yeah, like there's an episode where George gets his clothes stolen by a woman. Yeah, um, there's an episode where Chandler gets his clothes stolen by a woman. It's Julia Roberts. Um, <clears throat> oh, yeah. There's uh, an episode where Seinfeld can't cry and show sad emotions, and then once he opens it up, he can't turn it off. That happens to Chandler in an episode of Friends. And I even said to my wife, no one's no one's ripping anybody off here these mm. shows were largely running uh, around the same time even for most of Seinfeld's run um and friends ran later um but I just think there's only so many human stories to tell in this well of sitcom gadgets that we have I don't know man yes there's a lot of overlap there's a lot of overlap in the prestige drama too I was reading that uh Breaking Bad oral history that I sent you guys yesterday and Vince Gilligan admitted that the fly episode was a bottle episode yeah. And it was like, that's a standard trope when you're out of money. We were out of money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's that's all we could do. And yes, you know, we had Ryan Johnson come on to direct it. We had this wonderful, this wonderful dialogue, this wonderful script for it. But the methodology uh, was was essentially the same as everything that's been used before. So I think there are ways to reinvent it. And mm. yes, there is overlap in something like uh, with Friends and Seinfeld, especially because they were around the same Mostly, era. I mean, though, network sitcoms. It's surprising to me to hear that this one's on ABC and it's actually funny mm -hmm. uh, because I think the network sitcoms are just copy-pasting. Like, I don't need to see whatever that show Joey from Friends is on. I don't need to see <laughs> Kevin Can <laughs> Wait. Man I don't need to see any of those shows because I, I could probably predict every beat as I'm watching it because they're just, just carbon well, copies. You're, you're talking about a certain type of uh, sitcom, and I, I do agree with you on that. Now, things like Fresh Off the Boat, I only ca caught like half of an episode mm. uh, when it was on last week. Uh, but Blackish is a completely okay. different type of sitcom. Uh, Maybe I just haven't sitcom, watched enough too. sitcoms lately. Well, I don't blame you because, again, we collectively, all three of us, don't watch those things because of the other options that mm -hmm. are available. Why would you sit through? There's no must-see TV. There's why would you sit through commercials and all that stuff? And I just saw the opening episode of The Good Place, which is another one that people had been telling yeah. me about, and I was like, "Geez, this is good too." Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and and the other part of it, and this is what we're about to get into, is that the time is hard to get it. Mm -hmm. The you know with a with a Netflix show, ten episodes, you get through that really fast. Um, even a thirteen episode like cable series is is easy to get into but once you start getting into series that are 26 episodes yep. and everything mm -hmm. like okay yeah this that's is why a, you're gonna have commitment. that filler yeah that's why you're gonna have that filler because you got 26 episodes per season and you can't reinvent the wheel well, every time you, that's why you always get the clip show it's one of my least favorite yeah. things the sitcoms used to mm -hmm. do where they they film a brand new segment where they're sitting around the coffee house on friends and they're like Remember when you turned 30? Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. It's all clipped from previous episodes. Yeah. I used to hate yeah, that Simpsons shit. Simpsons used to do this and make fun of the very format that they were doing. Oh, uh, like the 100th episode. Well, the 138th episode right. Spectacular did that. <laughs> like It actually had more new footage in it than most regular clip shows. But before then, they had seasons where they were straight up clip shows. Oh, Simpsons yeah. did. Like, that's a whole freaking episode. <laughs> you know, like, remember this that you've already seen? Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, we're doing a lot on sitcoms. Uh, sure are. In uh, a network TV, because I'm going to recommend Scrubs. Ooh, Talked I Talked about Scrubs before. Scrubs. 
He's the guy that can't get no love from me. Hanging out the passenger side of his best friend's ride. Trying to holler at me. Go ahead. Yep. Uh, Scrubs is a criminally underappreciated TV I've show. I've heard this from many people. This was a show, uh, it's been marathoning on Fuse Network. Yeah, and Comedy uh, Central. And Comedy Central. And every time it's on, man, I'll get hooked for a good like two episodes or mm-hmm. so. Um, at least because, and I, I tried to put my finger on why this was so good. Now, first, I think I've said this before. This was based on a, a book from Samuel Shim called House of God, mm-hmm. uh, which details the, the the first year of an intern, like post-medical school, going through internship and then residency and that kind of thing. And it's insane. It's a great book. If you want, you want to read something that's related to the medical field, it's fantastic. Uh, but they take that and make it super comedic. And they put in John C. McGinley as the attending that's super rough on uh, the Zach Braff character. This is Zach Braff before he got annoying, by the way. Um, and what I like about this show is not only the dialogue, they do have those vignettes that they cut to mm-hmm. these fantastical elements that almost predict like a family guy type of thing. Yep. Um, and because JD, the, the main character, the Zach Braff character, you know, daydreams all the time. Like, you know, I'll have a situation and it'll, it'll be like, uh, he'll be called on in class and he doesn't know the answer and it'll cut to him with like antlers and about to be run over by a truck, like a deer in the headlights, like an actual deer in the headlights. Uh, but the other thing is this is like one of the most racially diverse casts, mm. uh, with, uh, Donald Faison and, uh, Judy Reyes, mm-hmm. um, as a, a black doctor and a Dominican nurse that get together and stay together the entirety of the series, by mm, the way. That's rare. They have ups and downs and everything, but there's no like, oh, he went off to, to, you know, dally and other pastors. And like, dally and other pastors? I don't know. What the <laughs> fuck was that? <laughs> you pulled out like some 17th century shit there. Yeah. Dally and other pastures god fuck other women uh but now there's none of that like it's just a stable healthy relationship that they keep trying to work on Mm -hmm. there's a little bit with uh uh, with jd and elliot uh, will they or won't they and everything but it's it's very female forward Mm -hmm. there's there's literally episodes that will focus on like you know the strong women basically reduce us all to children and they're the ones that are running the show mm-hmm. this was 2002 to 2005 that they're doing this shit mm-hmm. and it's so smart it's bill lawrence who went on to do another criminally underrated series called happy endings so i'll talk about it at some other point uh but man I, this is a show that was way ahead of his time uh it's super enjoyable if it comes on uh in a marathon it was on netflix for a while it's not anymore uh, but if you have a chance to check it out check it out it's freaking hilarious and it's really really smart yeah it's a it's a good show um it, i think i think what some people had a problem with and and i love scrubs i've seen probably every episode mm. i've probably seen them twice but um but like scrubs is one of those shows that has a lot of like airplane style gags in it yeah but then it can also go like dead serious drama yeah. in a drop of a hat yeah you know there's a whole episode where like uh, John C. McGinley, like they're talking about like how his character, you know, is very driven to keep everybody alive and all that and everything. And it's like, as soon as you can't, you can't handle somebody dying or whatever, that's when you need to go out. And of course his character goes through this crisis right. in there. Cause there's a point where like JD's like, you know, it's like, is it says that uh, when you can't uh, handle somebody dying, that's when you need to, you know, might, might need to get out. And John C. McGinley turns around and he's like, that's right, JT. 
that's right you know just like he's he's defeated (laughs) you know and then you're like whoa this was a really hilarious show for a while and now it's like Uh, it'll punch you in the gut there's one I, i won't spoil the ending but there's one uh, arc involving Brendan Fraser, actually. I've heard about um, this. That, oh, that yeah. will absolutely kick you in the nards, man. Like, mm-hmm. I've heard oh, that so on good. a Ferris show, Mother, Mom, Mom yeah. does the same kind of thing. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I didn't realize that that, that, that... turn sharp drama, serious topic Interesting. on a dime. Anytime I I've seen, seen that, that it's it's pretty funny. I like Allison Janney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, it should be noted that Scrubs did have quite a run, though. I yeah. mean, it... it, it, it I don't think it was ever a huge ratings winner mm-hmm. by any means. And of course it was on NBC. So they like to keep on, keep shows going. If it's like got any kind of critical acclaim yep. at all, you know, I don't know how they, how they dealt with all that over through the years. Cause they, NBC would do that with shows that were just failing and they yeah. would like keep it up, but it had a good like eight or nine seasons yeah, or something like that. The eight. last one was on ABC. They and the last one uh, was the, the new class that yeah. came in didn't really have the old, like the old crew would come in and be like, Hey, yeah, you need to do this. And then they just let the new crew mm-hmm. do their thing. It wasn't very good. That's like what happened on house. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I got on board with that though. I, I guess I was. I like the I new watched house all the way to the end. I mean, the main draw is house, but yeah. like they did, paint themselves into a corner with a one season finale where everybody like gets sends in their resignation right. and everything so then he had to do that survivor thing yeah. like that whole next season <laughs> and everything but like then it was just then it was just got to the point where they're like well it's they're all interchangeable we can just like you know change as many as we yeah, want yeah exactly that had that wonderful those two episodes house's head and house's heart do you remember that one uh i mean i'm sure i saw them but it's i don't where remember amber where- di- dies oh in the, yeah, yeah, yeah in the the wreck and he's haunted by her memory because it was uh, Robert Sean Leonard's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Man, that's that, those oh, two yeah. episodes just talk about kicking you in the in the stomach. Robert Sean Leonard's so good. He really is. Mm-hmm. He held his own <laughs> with Hugh Laurie in that show yeah. quite well, I thought. Okay, so are we warning people now? Yes, let's warn. Danger, Will Robinson. All right, so the other day I'm flipping channels, mm-hmm. and on Stars I see Passengers is playing, yeah, as it has been for months and months, mm-hmm. and I like to flip over and watch that. Well, once once Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne wakes up, I kind of start tuning out. Um, I've, I've mentioned this uh, problem I have with this movie a n- number of times. Yes. But I flip over to watch it, and it's not that Passengers. It's the Anne Hathaway Passengers <laughs> from 2006 <laughs> or seven. Have you ever seen that I movie? I have not, no. No. Fuck that movie. Really? Well, it's just it's one of these movies that gives you questions and mysteries and weird behavior, and then, well, this is an old enough If you don't want this movie spoiled, skip ahead five minutes. I'm going to spoil this movie. So Anne Hathaway is a psychologist, and there's been a plane crash. And oh, she, I she works for the airline. Uh-huh. The airline sends her to basically have therapy sessions with the survivors. There are four of them, mm-hmm. I think. And one of them is Patrick uh, the Conjuring. Wilson. Wilson. Mm-hmm. And he kind of has a thing for her. And he's really weird, and you don't know why. And then one person stops coming to the group therapy sessions, and she goes looking for him, and he's acting weird, saying people are following him. Um, And then another person stops coming to the sessions, and she thinks these survivors are being disappeared by the airline because they've been telling her a story about an explosion on the plane, and the airline says it was just pilot error that caused the crash. And like, um, God, I'm terrible with names. Um, David Morse. Morse. 
God, you're inside my head. <laughs> David Morris is in, Oh, are you looking at the He's IMDb right the now? IMDb. I'm looking at the IMDb. <laughs> oh, I thought you just called it from David. No, no, no. That would have been, been amazing. <laughs> but um, I, was like, I was like, he might be coming up with David Morris next. And as soon as you said David, I was like, Morris. So David Morris is, uh, works for the airline and kind of shady. And she eventually confronts him at the airport. I mean, the airline is lying about what happened. These people are being stalked. And it's all explosions. You need blah, 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 blah. Now she's dead. They're all dead. <laughs> mm. And she has to make peace with being dead before she can go on to heaven. She ah. was on the plane with Patrick Wilson. Uh -huh. The reason he's flirty with her is because they were flirty on the plane before they died in an explosion. And some of these people in her life, one of them is her boss and one of them's her neighbor. Okay. And they've like, she's talked to them several times. She's not sure she should go out with Patrick Wilson and her neighbors. Like, you should do what makes you happy. You can go out with him if you want to go out with him. Yeah. She finds out after the fact, oh, that was her Aunt Tony or whatever. And the other guy was her favorite school teacher because <laughs> people you knew in life who died before you come back to help you cross. And for Patrick Wilson, it was his dog. Oh. And I was enraged at the end of this movie <laughs> because I like Anne Hathaway. Mm -hmm. I like a good mystery. I thought we were doing I thought it was a plane crash investigation. I thought it was like a like a mental health kind of thing. And no, it's basically the end of Lost. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I did hear about this movie. I never saw it. I oh, never heard of this I movie. I was so robbed. Because I remember the trailer intrigued me greatly. Mm -hmm. um, and it was right it was kind of like before Anne Hathaway started liking herself so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um so before she had done Lay Miss, <laughs> basically is what I mean. Um anyway, just it's such a disappointment. I was so God damn. Because it just wipes away everything I just saw. Yeah. Everything you tried to tease and prick me with. No. It's just a, it was like trying that season of Roseanne it. where they were dreaming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fuck you. They're trying yeah. to do a Shyamalan type of uh I guess. Yeah. I guess. Really pissed you know, me that's, off. That's become almost a cliche, too. The waiting to go to heaven. This was all, you've, you've been dead the whole time type mm -hmm. of thing. And that's, that's a cheap ending, you know? Yep. And then they get on a boat together. And ride off into the water. With Presumably, the, heaven's on the other side of the Atlantic. Yes. No, David Morse was actually the pilot who oh, did yeah. crash the plane and felt guilty. And that's why he hadn't crossed over from, purg from purgatory yet, because he felt so bad. All right. Because yeah. he cost the lives. I don't want to see this movie. You should not. I'm warning you against this movie. Because <laughs> I will flip over to the Jennifer Lawrence passages. <laughs> I have to make sure that Now I'm going to be nervous every time I see it. Like, oh, well, fuck. Which one is it? There was a time where uh, I would flip through channels and like they would get the description wrong. So it would be like 1989 Batman, and you'd be like, cool. And you'd click you'd click on 1989 Batman and be the fucking Adam West one. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. fucking happens every time? Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. Comcast, if it says it's, it's the Marky Mark version, yeah, yeah. it's the Charlton Heston version. <laughs> if it yeah. says it's the original, it's the Marky Mark. Every fucking time I try and watch one, I've seen yeah, I, I would too. watch the original. Yeah, totally. I don't want anything to do with that Marky Mark bullshit. Oh, God damn, that's yeah. awful. Um, so my warning... Is some is a movie that I'm still trying to figure out as far as do, is this is this warning is this a warning? I don't know if it's either one. Like it's definitely not. I don't know if it's a recommend either. <laughs> it's one of those. Type, the movie is bright. And, oh uh, yeah. And I watched this, and it's obviously it's a Netflix original, and it's gotten a lot of uh, publicity because it's. I guess they're even going to make a sequel. It did so well. They definitely are. Um, so I like the idea of having 
fantastical elements in a real world uh like if if you know if it's as if lord of the rings like everything that happened in lord of the rings uh still applies but like the real world still evolved the same way only now we have orcs and elves and fairies and all that who have grown alongside humans and everything i you know who knows how that happened Mm -hmm. there the movie is not here to explain that to you (laughs) the movie is here to say deal with it (laughs) you know you have orcs elves and and humans mingling together and everything like that the story of bright is essentially there is an elf that has taken a wand from (laughs) another group of elves or some shit or some magical fucking whatever (laughs) is it the elder wand it might as well be it might as well be the elder one um there's even a part and and parrot came it was last week when or two weeks ago when i was watching this movie and like uh will smith is playing a cop and his buddy is joel edgerton who is an orc um there's a there's a part where they're at a gas station and they're they're protecting this girl who has the wand and she's the only one who can use it because she's a bright and uh roll credits (laughs) <laughs> exactly they say that a million times Max there's a, landis wrote a this of, thing there's a, yeah he did there's a lot of roll credits moments of course uh in this because they say bright quite often <laughs> uh but uh there's a point where like uh somebody some other cop shows up and he, they at this point they suspect will smith and and his, his buddy of of doing some shenanigans or whatever and so like it's jay hernandez who shows mm-hmm. up and and everything and and will smith is like he's like it's like stop stop that's a wand that right there's a wand you know it's like when you when you ever require will smith to say a line like that i think that when i walked in it was like we have a magic fucking wand yeah 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 yeah. jesus exactly and that's terrible so yeah it is no see here's the thing it's for sure terrible but it's it's you gotta watch it it's one of those type of things right my buddy jason really liked it like oh yeah instant messaged me the night he walked have you seen this bright movie on netflix i really liked it i was like it's getting tore up in the reviews but i think i think a lot of people who watched it liked it it's one of those last jedi things where the the critics and the audience are not really very close at all Mm -hmm. it's kind of fun in a way like i feel like they they really left a lot of like real fun things on the table Mm mm-hmm um because i think with air directing this and everything it's it's still got this idea that it's got to be kind of like almost gritty and this is cop drama and all that because one of the subplots of this movie is that joel edgerton who is again playing an orc his (laughs) partner um (laughs) can't be stated enough (laughs) exactly um uh he is trying it's there's a racial element to it like the the most of the cops are humans or in fact all of them are humans and they're trying they're trying to show diversity by letting an orc in and everything but orcs have this uh have this sort of stigma to them that they only stick to their own and they won't they won't uh go after other orcs if they commit crimes and so on and so forth because of some sort of blood oath or whatever the Mm. fuck they're calling it um and so like at the very beginning of the movie something like they could have done so much better with this opening because the opening of it is will smith is like getting a hot dog and some orc comes out of a out of a like a store he's obviously robbed the place or whatever and so like uh they need to go after that guy and then they cut they cut it to the neck like the aftermath 
where everybody's like, why didn't the why didn't the Joel Edgerton guy go after the York? He should have gotten that guy. In and so that's basically what the big argument is. Is like, well, do, can we really trust this dude? And so on and so forth. They could have shown everything at the beginning and mm. and and it would have not changed anything hmm. about the movie do they come all. back later yeah, on? yeah they come show? back and show what happened and why everything happened and everything and i'm like we could have just done that at the beginning and we would have still had the same thing only we'd have maybe had like again movies are always trying to surprise us with mm-hmm. everything now and this isn't a surprise really i mean it's not i mean the whole thing is can we trust this guy can we not I understand a dramatic reason to put that in there. It just doesn't do anything for you. Yeah. It doesn't do anything for me mm-hmm. anyway. Like I feel like I feel like it's even more dramatic to show what actually happened and then when they have this debate you you can have a, you know, sort of you can feel a certain way about it or whatever and you know, you move on or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but uh yeah, I mean, I I I think it's an unusual you know, it's an unusual movie. It's got fantastic elements mixing with reality, which we don't see very often. Uh, you know, basically saying the fantastic is real. In no, just, that's a really good concept, right? And and it's and it's that it's that it's accepted and just known, like people don't even question it. That type of real. But I, I really do think there could have been a better story along with this. And yeah, there's so many like moments in there that's just they're laughable because it just doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't connect. Will Smith has got some pretty funny lines in this, though. I think there's a scene where he's just like talking to all these or these neighborhood or people or whatever, and he's just like he's just he's just basically like fuck it, I'm just gonna say what I need to say and whatever, and it's really kind of funny. But um, but it, it is kind of interesting that this wand, everybody knows like what kind of power it has and everything. So like these neighborhood gangs are like, ooh, there's a wand. Mm. like they're all after it too so mm. it's it's all it's all it's like you know this one it's, it's something that david ayer special specializes in these one night this happened every you know there's a whole bunch of chaos going on all at once type of thing it's still just i again it's is it a warning is it a recommend <laughs> it's, it's a, up to you it sounds like a wreck a warn yeah wreck a warn yeah. yes there you go. A warm mendation. Coin and phrases left and right That's today. Right, baby. An invitation. Nug life. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I've got a hot take on a uh, an old movie. Uh, I saw Bruce Almighty on uh, one of the cable channels the other night. And we all, I think, love elements of Bruce Almighty. There's the the moon. There's the uh, the Steve Carell character going... Bruce is a fucking dick oh, this yeah. entire movie oh, until yeah. the last one percent of this movie mm-hmm. he is a giant dick even when so like it sets it up as being you know a dick that needs to be redeemed mm-hmm. then god comes down and gives him his powers he continues to be a dick then midway through he gets kind of this reminder that you need to help other people he then continues to be a fucking <laughs> dick <laughs> And continues this all the way up to his relationship, uh, to the, his coworkers. Like he's just a giant fucking pecker this entire fucking movie <laughs> until the very, very end. Even after he dies and comes back, still a dick until the very, very end. And even then, it's like, eh, you're you really all that redeemed. Uh, he is incredibly unlikable. The only way that you would remotely cheer for this dude is because it's Jim Carrey 
doing his broad comedy shtick, but it gets so broad to me that it gets grating. Mm-hmm. Um, in this movie in particular, I, I love Liar Liar. I really like The Mask. I know you guys don't like it, um, but this is kind of around that area era, and it just it it, it, it hurts. It what hurts happened to watch. is, I think Jim Carrey himself was so likable at this point in his career. They forgot to write any likable traits for his character. Right. And they just went way overboard with the not likable stuff. Like, the first thing he does with God powers is make the moon bigger and give his wife an orgasm from afar, or his girlfriend. After he's lifted up some chick's skirt um, well, on yes. the street. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, <laughs> but that whole scene has always troubled me. See, I, this, is, this is an interesting study of a movie because this movie came out when I was much more religious and actively going to church teaching Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> And the movie horrified me from that perspective because, you know, I know I know a lot of people who are religious that think the movie has positive things to say, um, and I guess it does. Like he has to learn the lesson that he wants her to be happy regardless of how he is. Uh, that's a silly lesson. I'm not yeah, sure it's, why it's God. It's the only would, lesson that he learns. I'm not sure not why God would pick else. him yeah. of all assholes on the planet exactly. to fix. And then it basically, like. When he's doing that pleasure, pleasure, like yeah. I was like uncomfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, okay, got all the powers of God. God would not do that. No, no. He pursues her. I don't know why she loves this dude so much. Uh, I know relationships can get complicated, but this guy is a fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. Like all around. Selfish. Super selfish. He's blaming everything on God. Even like after he has this kind of godlike realization, he steps in a puddle on the way up to meet God, and he's like, "There you go." He blames it on God. I'm like, yeah. "Fuck yeah. you, man!" Yeah. Oh man. So even though there are moments in here that are funny, ah, ah, he's so I, more so than I remembered. He's so fucking unlikable. Isn't it justified though because he didn't get the job at the beginning? Yeah, of the movie? it's all justified because of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's oh, Jesus. That is one of the greatest comedy moments of the last 20 years. Is that back to you, fuckers? Yeah. <laughs> it is um, interesting that they said this in Buffalo, of all places. Too. I loved all the, like, the interview he does with the old lady where he keeps like asking her about Titanic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> she threw the heart of the sea into the sea or whatever. Yeah. Uh, there's lots to like about Bruce Almighty, but you're not wrong. He's, yeah, he's a total asshole in that whole movie. He is a dick. And barely learns, like, the lesson of being a decent human being. Yeah, and it's only in regards to this relationship. Yeah, he and doesn't want it. anybody else to be happy. Yeah, just her. All right, so we're going to skip uh, over the recasting. So we'll come back to that at some point. We got a good one lined up for you guys. Uh, we're going to go into questions. Question, question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. I want the truth. Yeah. You know, I was listening to that uh, that funk dat song i forget what the guy's name dj that's where that comes from you know it, the question at the oh, beginning of that yeah. thing uh it's it's a song called funk dat um and uh i was listening to that the other day and it, the guy is like this this uh 90s like thinking man's rapper and he's like why is it that anytime i try to go to get a job you know I, my car breaks down funk dat yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> 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 funk dat <laughs> and then I watch the Beavis and Butthead that follows. It. Yes, yes. Oh, man. <laughs> Why is it? It's <laughs> Saget is the the rapper's name. Ah. Anyway, so just in case anybody was curious about that, here's our first question, uh, podcast question. I know Jeremy hated to send Les Miserables. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of 2018, mm-hmm. what movies did you hate after sending? Mm-hmm. Uh, the follow up question: What movie did you really like after sending uh, that you thought you'd hate? 
I like mm. this question. This is a fun one. It's a good one, I guess. Uh, Cars 3. Cars 3. You hated that one. Big, flaming, giant fucking... Now, here's the problem. So many people said, it's so much better than Cars 2. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when in reality, is. it's Cars 1 again. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was surprised. I thought, just based on what I had heard, that it would be, for me, you know, like a B, mm-hmm. maybe a B plus. Uh, back to being able to enjoy these characters a little bit. And it's just a sloppy retread of a mess. And all it does is make all the movies that came before it make even less sense. Well, that's true. And talk about an unlike uh, an unlikable protagonist. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Lightning McQueen. By the third movie, he should know his shit by now. Yeah, like every time <laughs> he learns this lesson, I shouldn't be so selfish all the time. Yeah. And wow. like, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Yeah, it's like, like wow. every single movie, like, I shouldn't be so selfish. And then it's like, then the next movie, like the same sort of circumstances happen. And then he doesn't even realize while he's yelling at somebody like, well, there's that. And then the technical aspects of this are ridiculous, too. There is no way that he could even think about approaching the speeds that Jackson Storm are going to do. And then the ending just oh, it's, it's but supposedly if he trains enough, he yeah. can get more horsepower. This movie is just I mean, the first movie cars, I can I can take. Mm-hmm. All the unanswered bullshit about how this world operates because it's just a single, it's just a one-off. But by, by, by the time you've done these second two movies, I can't not ask questions. <laughs> right? <laughs> how? Where did Jackson Storm come from? Mm-hmm. Is he born? Was he built? Yep. Can Lightning not go to whatever factory built him and get some upgrades? And they're not even. And even if they were built, like let's say you're in the they team built, you know, team built category. They're not like hiding like Toy Story where they have to hide that they're right. talking to each other and all that. Yeah, yeah. They're in their own fucking world. Yeah. They're in a universe. So like either they're getting built by other cars, <laughs> which makes no sense, or they're or having sex. They're having sex. And they're you know, they obviously fall in love and everything. And like how could it be fair to have such an advanced car racing against this is like sending a Tesla out to race against a Mustang. Yeah. That's that like that or, they, or like racing a, circuits wouldn't do that. Yeah, lightning would like be racing other lightnings and Jackson would be racing other Jacksons. Yeah, it's like the truck series versus IndyCar. Yeah. You know, they're not running on the same fucking track. I just and then, you know, cherry on top is let's cast Army Hammer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got maybe the least distinctive voice of anyone yeah, that's ever. That's true. That's true. He's a good actor, but yeah, not I like a- him as an actor. That's <laughs> one of the most baffling voice casting choices ever. Oh, yeah. Let's get somebody that you have. Nobody will guess. Nobody knows. even knows that guy's name for the most part. <laughs> well, unless yeah. you're a big social network fan. When yeah. he showed up, I was like, oh, okay, who is this? Who is this? <laughs> it's got to be somebody big. It yeah. could literally be one of like 30 people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you, and I looked it up, and it was like Army Hammer. <laughs> I was like, oh. There you go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Jeremy's iron. Jeremy's, Jeremy's iron. <laughs> Here's a ball. Perhaps you'd like to punch it. <laughs> oh, we, should I do my other one? I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. For the the one that you hated after. Uh, I'm sorry. No, the, the one, one that, that you liked. enjoyed after. more after sinning would probably be split. Oh, mm. yeah. Um, Because the, my first watch, I couldn't see that as anything other than a trick mm-hmm. uh, or a gimmick. Mm. Um, but on multiple watches, um, mostly through sinning, I, I found a lot more to like about that movie, and uh, I would watch it start to finish right now. And yeah, I don't really particularly like the the way the Bruce Willis thing happens, um, but I liked it more than I thought I would. I think that's the spirit of the question. No, there's there's a lot to like in that movie. I'm, the, all of the psychology bugged me, but oh, 
Yeah. All of James McAvoy's performances are so fucking good. I'm just, man. I'm really, really impressed with him. He's so, he's, he's amazing in that, especially yeah. when he's that prim and proper yeah. lady, you know. <laughs> Co- Korean music aids in digestion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Anya Taylor Joy is, is really good. That was her. Mm-hmm. I, 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 she, well, she was in The Witch before yeah. this came out. But, uh, and she was really good in that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. she's got a really bright career going for I think so. Um, one that I now obviously there's a there's a lot of movies that I know I'm going to hate yeah uh, before I even sent it uh, one that I was surprised that I had seen before and liked and then ended up not liking it after the sins video was who framed Roger Rabbit oh yeah I remember that experience yeah. um and I actually ran into somebody randomly a couple weeks ago who said they didn't like who 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 framed Roger Rabbit either hmm. and uh and and it. It's weird, like, yeah, when you are, and I was 11 when this movie came out, I really liked it. I liked the idea of cartoons mixing with the real world and all that, and I really liked the movie overall. Mm -hmm. When we got to the Sins part of it, though, I was just like, oh my God, this isn't very good, is it? And, 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 you know, it, it was shocking to me. What is the main gripe that you have with it? Um... It's what stupid. is it? Yeah, it's, it's stupid. It's uh, really they just kind of stopped at let's put cartoons and humans in the same movie. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah that that plot just doesn't doesn't seem to add up overall. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess it's. I mean, yeah, because Christopher Lloyd is basically trying to put it in a highway system, right? And then they, he's got to tear down Toontown to do it. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen I, it. It's, it, it, you know, and even after the Sims video and everything, which is was now what two three years mm. ago now um i i just uh, i don't remember much about it anymore <laughs> but i just i just remember going you know like i was sitting there like when when put it on the schedule i was like oh dear this is going to be very very hard to to send mm-hmm. and then it turned out it wasn't like it was not only just the stupid stuff that we put in but it was also like real stuff too <laughs> uh so i was really surprised by that um one that i for sure hated like i hate this movie probably more like one a movie that i thought for sure i was going to hate somehow i hated it even worse (laughs) after sending it was transformers age of extinction Uh. i think the movie i hate i mean i we obviously had to make that two videos yeah that's how long it was it was one of those where it it was shocking like you would press play and like something else would happen to infuriate you and you would have to write about it and then you would press play off of that pause and like some other fucking bullshit would happen immediately like we practically put that whole movie on the fucking I, like i've seen i've seen all the transformers i've seen okay so like first transformers is passable i hate the second yep. one i hate the third one even more yep. So I was like, there's no way I can get lower. Age of Extinction got there. And then even that last night bullshit didn't wasn't even like as bad as Age of Extinction. No, I agree, but they're both terrible. They're both both horrible, horrible movies. But uh but yeah, that was one of those and I and that's the reason why I hated it more, I think, is just the fact that every single frame of that movie had me going oh my oh my god i can't not mention this i have this. to write something about this <laughs> yeah. like the number of things we had to cut from that thing like it was like legitimate shit um so yeah that one was not good at all 
a couple of them that i ended up liking more i did not like jack reacher when i first watched it Mm. oh yeah uh when we send it though i started seeing oh there's some really cool things in this now it's not a great movie by any means but it certainly way better than i originally thought it was especially that opening scene is Mm -hmm. really well done um but yeah it's got i like how Cruz goes through the whole mystery of everything and solves all the stuff and everything i um i mean yeah i know jack reacher fans weren't happy that he was in there because jack reacher's a and there is that there is that thing that they they had to have left in from the book because they were talking about how huge this guy was yeah yeah. one of the witnesses like how huge this guy was and the guy and the and the the guy's like that must have been jack reacher like, <laughs> like how do you know that by looking at tom cruise oh, no. um a movie that i sort of liked and uh and i and i i think i like better now and we just talked about it in either in the outtake stuff or earlier in this episode uh is ender's game uh, oh, yeah. i do think that ender's game probably deserved a lot now when that movie came out there was a lot of stuff about orson scott card yeah i guess he's homophobic or something yeah so there was a lot of that i think that sort of hurt it it also the the movie itself i don't think does justice to the book like it's not like if you're a big huge you know ender's game fan and you go watch that movie you are going to see the cuts that are in that yeah in that movie but uh i think that especially i mean and i've read the book but i have it's long distant from me now uh watching it now and just only remembering certain things about the book and everything i think that movie is is really well done and it's and it's surprising too coming from a director that gavin hood who did uh, x-men origins wolverine oh yeah um but uh i i think he did everything really well in that it's not there's not a lot of eye rolling like mm. there the the last 30 minutes of this movie are riveting they are riveting oh yeah i agree and uh, I think especially it, if you don't know what's coming right and i think that you i think that this movie deserved a lot more when it came out it was considered an unfilmable book for the longest time uh and they finally did one and i think they did it pretty well mm. and it's you know either people didn't like orson scott card by this point or they didn't care or whatever but deserved a lot more interesting good call Mm. and you sir uh so the one that i hated obviously just like chris said i know i'm gonna probably not like emoji movie when i Mm. go into that it was confirmed and i probably hated it even more upon the sins viewing Mm -hmm. um but one of the the movies that surprised me all three of them actually was the despicable me franchise oh yeah i had seen despicable me with my son I don't know when it right around when it came yeah, out. 2010, I believe, was the first one, and it was enjoyable. Like I, I enjoyed it. It was fine. Steve Carell was a little bit grating, but the kids were really cute. Uh, the story was interesting. Evil villain turning, uh, you know, good and family man and all that stuff. And then when I went to Senate, it was just so obnoxious. It, it, everything about like this universe, how you know. You can die sometimes, but you can't die sometimes. Everything is, all this villainy is being done in full view of the public. You know, mm-hmm. all the minions, the minions. Ah, the minions. I was going to say, they just keep getting worse. The more the more they, they make in this world, they're just worse. The, well, yeah. Two was worse than one. Three was apparently just abysmal. Oh, it was, it was absolutely horrible. Two, I'd actually seen before we send the first one. Mm-hmm. Because we, we did it uh, right before three came out. Yep. And I remember 
not necessarily hating that one. It was a little bit more annoying. You know, the minions were, were involved. Uh, but I fucking loathe that movie. And the third one, Jesus Christ, man. It was, uh, Chris wrote a sentence about it. Like, it's it's literally two different movies just kind of terribly spliced together. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, there's just one path that's going down. There's another path. And they just don't make any sense. Well, yeah, either. this could have easily just been the Trey Parker character and him trying to get his job back, you know, Grew getting his job back. Yeah. And trying to find him and everything didn't need Drew at all. <laughs> like if they wanted to make a Gru and Drew story, I could understand that too. Especially if Drew is a supervillain or something yeah, yeah. like that. But yeah, it's like it's like they introduce this Trey Parker character, and you're like, okay, we got to worry about that. And then it's like a uh, thirty minutes of just him and Drew yeah. like getting into adventures. Yeah, and it, you're like where did the Trey Parker guy exactly. go? And there's no sense of space in this movie. Like yeah. You can take a short boat ride like across the Atlantic or something like yeah. that. So yeah, no, fuck those movies really, really hard. And I don't really have a, a very good example of ones that I liked uh, or really, really liked after uh, uh, after not liking them before. But a couple of movies confirmed how great they were. I saw Seven when it came out mm-hmm. uh, in 1995, and I, I liked it. It was good. It was Probably the first David Fincher movie that I no, I saw Aliens three before that, mm-hmm. um, and I liked it. It was very interesting. It was you know very disturbing, obviously, but I kind of had forgotten a, a lot of the detective elements. I had just you know thought about the horrific elements, mm-hmm. and when we send it, man, goddamn! I mean, like I was engrossed with this movie. Typically, you're doing what Chris was describing. You're stopping and you're thinking. And you're doing this. And I would just kind of like let it go and then have to come back and say like, oh, no, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but it confirmed how great it was. Mm-hmm. I and saw a video on Reddit today that was titled um, All 44 Times Brad Pitt Touches His Head in the Movie 7. Wow. I didn't watch that 44 times. Yeah, I could see that. There is quite a few times yeah. he does that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and the other one that, that reminded me how great it was, and it had been a while since I'd seen Aliens. Mm. Um, and... I think I texted Chris halfway through it. I was like, God damn, this movie's good. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you get through, and it, I mean, it had a certain amount of sins, and it didn't really matter how many sins it was. Uh, it's, it's just so fucking good. It's so well put together. It's such a great action movie. It retains a lot of the fun elements or the interesting elements from the first one. Uh, and then the ending is so great, man. So yeah, that, those were two that really confirmed how much I, I like. I can confirm when a movie is good when I can get through the first thirty minutes, and I've written stuff, and I've written good stuff. But that first thirty minutes, and usually thirty minutes is my good like break off point if I need to go do some other things. I try to get to that thirty minute mark. But if I can get through that and go, oh man, I could go another thirty yeah. without any problem. I know a movie's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I won't mind coming back to it. And that's what happened to, I mean, of course, there's a lot of the ones that you're talking about where they just confirm that it's good. Mm-hmm. A lot of those like that, where you're just like 30 minutes have gone by. I could go the rest of this movie and, and it'd be done with it in the next two hours. Yeah, that literally just happened to me this morning. Yeah. Syncast <laughs> uh, is my favorite. Thank you. Uh, but I this do. is. This is inspired as a Dream Sins video. Travolta, John Travolta, in Urban Cowboys, an all-timer for laughs. In college, around 2010 or so, we had dorm watch parties that lasted three or four nights in a row by popular demand. This movie is so goddamn funny. Just get me a beer. I hope you send it on a rainy day. Uh, do you guys have any unintentionally funny all-timers? I have I have mentioned, I'm sure, this movie before, but Scarface is the <laughs> unintentionally funny movie for me. Never have gotten on board with this being a masterpiece or whatever people le- re- refer to Scarface as. Or Push whatever. it to the limit. Yes. 
Al Pacino playing Cuban. Yeah, that's right off the bat. You know, it just uh, doesn't work. And, uh, and I'm a political refugee, okay? I don't come on no banana boat, okay? Yeah. This whole town's a pussy that needs to get fucked. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the scene where his sister and his best friend he he learns that they've gotten married behind his back and this is I've said I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before <laughs> Tony Montana is not the guy that you spring surprises yep, on yep yep you would never surprise Mary behind his back and then go, we were just trying to surprise you. And of course he shoots him before he even gets that, that message or whatever. Like it's like the whole thing. Like, like I think he's, I think he's doing, you know I mean? That the mountain of cocaine, he snorts like during the, like when he's, when he's really the boss yeah, and everything. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the over the top helicopter death scene when he's down on the ground, Robert Lowe's just like, look up there, you know? And it's like, you know, they throw his partner off and hang him on the helicopter. It's Sosa that does that. Is it Sosa? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. But, uh, like all that stuff yeah. is just just funny to me well even the uh, the robert lozier thing where he's like never underestimate the other guy's greed <laughs> it's like he, the, the, robert lozier playing a cuban is yes, even less believable exactly. than fucking al pacino doing it yeah so uh so yeah everything is super over the top and and uh, I, there was no there's no surprise to that brian de palma is one of those like over dramatic directors it works in like you know it works in a lot of movies. Mm -hmm. It doesn't in very many in a lot of others. Uh, but Al Pacino is, of course, a very bombastic actor and everything. Then you make him play Cuban, and then and then Oliver Stone wrote the screenplay apparently on cocaine. So <laughs> you had the elements for that movie, and I know that there's a lot of people who who love it and everything. I do think that was the funniest reveal ever after we did the movie recipe. Like came on this podcast and and they're talking about it was like I fucking hate this movie <laughs> after on the movie recipe he was sitting there going yeah this food's great and the food was great yeah, not lying about the food but like having to pretend to be like excited about scarface was not no. uh, was not fun it was not uh, easy jesus um i'm i'm gonna shift gears and i'm gonna go off script all right um the movie higher learning is unintentionally funny Oh, in yes. about a dozen different spots. This is uh, the Michelle Pfeiffer one? No, no this it's is a John Singleton Mines. movie. Well, Lawrence Fishburne is the professor. Omar Epps is the new uh, track star. Cuba, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. Um, Ice Cube is the, <laughs> the other power cubes. guy. Uh, Michael Rappaport <laughs> is a new student. And uh, the girl who has sex with Charlie Sheen in the car while he's driving in that one movie. Oh, it's uh, um, um, Christy Swanson. <laughs> Christy Swanson. Yeah. Um, Okay, really just Lawrence Fishburne's Jamaican accent <laughs> is enough to make you giggle. But it's it's extra, like, this is what you should do. You should make a game of it. Try not to laugh watching this movie and see how many times you're successful. Because he it, his first scene, he's like this imposing professor and he's got all these students in his psych psychology class or whatever. And he's like, uh, would the following students please stand up? And I'm not doing a Jamaican accent. Um and he ha he reads off all these students. Omar Epps actually reads them off. And then he says, uh, the school has told me uh, you can't attend my class because you haven't paid your bills. Get out. And I'm like, it's the first goddamn day of school. <laughs> How they even get in the dorm 
if they hadn't paid anything? How do you get a schedule of classes without? It's the first day of school. How can you be behind on payments? Anyway, Lawrence Fishburne's accent is comically bad to the point where you wonder who exactly behind the scenes was pushing for this. He's never done one that I'm aware of in a previous movie. Never done one since. Was it John Singleton? It was like for this professor to have gravitas. <laughs> it's from he must have come from Jamaica. <laughs> yes. Um, but plenty of, the, I mean, it's basically the whole movie is just really cheesy melodrama. A lot of the racism stuff from both sides is really far over the top. Like, I I didn't go to a public university, <laughs> but I doubt white people are calling black people the N-word every time they pass them on campus. Uh, yeah, I went to a public that, school. That, that's one it. of the part of it, too. Like, Michael Rappaport plays, like, a skinhead. Or yeah, he gets recruited in, by the skinheads. Yeah, and that's, like, the big, like, yeah. Michael Rappaport plays an excellent racist. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's like, this, like, super racially charged college way you know? over the top <laughs> like, like yeah like and like uh the like, girl you just c- thought of her name from the christy term- swanson christy swanson she gets date raped mm. i don't even want to call something about date rape melodramatic but she spirals into lesbianism oh okay yeah with jennifer connelly yes super young tyra banks is in this movie it's basically after boys in the hood Somebody threw a shit ton of money at John Singleton and said, put every idea you've ever had into one movie. Yeah. <laughs> and he did. And we got higher learning. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's it's comical, even when it's trying to be really dramatic. Of course, the whole thing ends in this massive race riot. And mm. just it, yeah. And like Ice Cube has no respect for Omar Epps mm-hmm. because he's on a track scholarship. <laughs> He's running for the man. Well, right. <laughs> and then he would later uh, sort of reprise that role in uh, Don't Be a Menace to South Central. Oh, yeah. While drinking your juice in the hood. Yeah. Because he's the, he's the guy who made it. Like, he finally made it to college and all that, and he gets shot immediately. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh but yeah, you had Ice Cube in there and Cole Hauser's in the movie. He's, he's the rhymes. guy that recruits the Rappaport. Yeah, yeah. The, the skinhead stuff is cringeworthy. Mm, yeah. Now, I'll, maybe in today's, in the, after the events of the last year, maybe it's not as cringy. Yeah. But the last time I saw this movie, I was cringing pretty hard. And as well as the first time I saw this movie, I was <laughs> cringing pretty hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. Uh, this has maybe become like a trendy thing to do. And I, I don't mean it to be that way. But the happening, I saw the happening in a, in a very like uh, innocent way. The trailers looked amazing. Mm-hmm. You had those people laying down in front of the lawnmowers. You had all this mysterious shit going on. And you had kind of some buzz that M. Night Shyamalan was kind of back to doing like good shit. You know, mm-hmm. this is after he'd already started to go off the rails a little bit. Um, and so I went into it and I was like, all right, good people in there. Zoe Deschanel. De- Zoe Deschanel. Deschanel. Um, and Mark Wahlberg, you know, had a decent track record. And Jesus Christ, man, this movie is so fucking awful. And it's typified by Wahlberg's doe-eyed, weird performance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, it, 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 it makes no sense. Say hello to your mother for me. <laughs> exactly. was, that, was there that, that uh, scene that everybody brings up in The Happening where the old lady's like going crazy on him or whatever? And she's like, you're trying to steal something from me or whatever. And he's like... No, <laughs> or something like that. Whatever he does. Yeah. Oh my God. He's like trying to play overly sincere. I think he's like a school teacher or something like that. Mm-hmm. And God damn, it's so stupid for an Emily Shyamalan movie. It's a stupid fucking movie. Yeah. Um, 
So there was a, a Thanksgiving or a holiday party that a friend, friends of mine uh, threw in Chicago where they played all of M. Night Shyamalan's movies mm-hmm. up until that point. And for whatever reason, they played The Happening twice right when I was there. <laughs> really? And the, the first time we caught the end of it and we were laughing about it, uh, the people there were ingesting a lot of substances i was not uh but god damn when we started from the beginning and watched it all the way through we were like pain we were in pain from laughing so hard mm-hmm. like it was just absolutely when you watch it from a comedic element and almost like the room or something mm-hmm. like that where you just laugh at these this the air coming the the people walked the different suicide attempts which is terrible but in this context it's hilarious because it's so fucking stupid yeah um yes the wind chasing them that was the biggest laugh i think but uh so that's a, an unintentionally funny movie for it's interesting sure. to me too that we got movies made out of the disappearance of the bees we got a bunch of those and <laughs> yeah. you find out oh it was just the pest using the wrong pesticides yeah. and stuff like that <laughs> it wasn't anything mysterious at all <laughs> you know it's, it's just corporations being stupid again <laughs> and that's it now we've got a happening because of it now we have a happening it's got electrolytes yeah it's got electrolytes <laughs> exactly. yeah. uh, it's, what, it's what plants crave <laughs> <laughs> all right uh that will do it for this week keep going to facebook presented well facebook keep going to facebook the syncast presented by Cinema- facebook is presented yeah, by facebook presented by cinema sense <laughs> by the way if that were true would not be doing this anymore probably no. <laughs> do it from <laughs> an be, island be like, yeah be doing it from an island for sure but uh keep going to the syncast presented by cinema facebook page keep going to soundcloud keep going to reddit got a bunch of places that you can come and comment on this here very episode definitely and subscribe if you haven't subscribed already go ahead and do it and spread the word have people click that subscribe button on itunes and uh yeah d- spread the love spread spread the cheese so. ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, banner day yay anyway uh that'll do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Hey, I accidentally deleted a Sins video. (laughs) Yeah, that was fun. I can't tell you how mad I was at myself. It's such a stupid... Half second of time. Well, here's my thing with the, the that that method that YouTube has for deleting videos. I hate it. Oh, I hate it too. Because even when I am a hundred percent sure yep. that I'm going to delete the right video because I have it checked in the box, I'm always worried because the way they do it is they cover the entire screen yep. with that "Are you sure?" bullshit. Can't they just show you the video that's going to get deleted? Yeah. Can't yeah. they just say this is your these are the videos, are you sure? Yeah. I've clicked out cancel probably every time. Well, and I, hell, I can't they have a undo button? Jesus, I spent like 20 minutes thinking if I delete something on my PC, it goes in the recycle bin. If yeah. I want it, I can still go get it. Yeah. Until yeah. I delete the recycle bin contents. There should be something like that. Yes. You just I, deleted a video. Are you sure you wanted to do that? Oh, shit. It was Girls Trip? No, I did not. Well, yeah. and they think that by saying uh, this can't be undone, that yeah. that's, your, that's your warning. But, like, it, still, you, you have... 
they have to be able to have the power to have something in their programming that says, here's the video. Are you sure you want to delete that? Yeah. At least for a period of time. Yeah. Like for, I don't know, half an hour or something like that. I don't know. Oh, so mad. Mm. Oh, so mad. Well, at least you're not running the computers in Hawaii. (laughs) I'm sure. Have you seen that interface? (laughs) Literally right. There were two buttons to click and he, uh, two lines, links, and he clicked the wrong one. They were right on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah. This is some pretty shitty user interface. We're right, at, uh, okay, what, so an hour we're and fifty minutes or so. Uh, right at an hour forty-nine. Okay, it's almost like you looked at the time. I looked at the time. <laughs> I was like, "How did you ever do that?" Yeah, <laughs> it's just like where he got David Morse <laughs> right. pulled out of thin air. <laughs> it's almost like you have a screen in front of you. The reason I thought it was at least possible that you pulled that out of your ass was because I have forgotten David Morse's name like three times on this podcast, mm. and you've probably been through two times of me <laughs> going, David, David, that guy who's in that Shia LaBeouf movie, Disturbia, David Morse. <laughs> I, mean, mm. I thought it was at least plausible yeah. that you weren't looking at it because that's the name I've flubbed well, many Normally, times. yes, you would have to go through a couple of movies and say he was in this and that and his name's David something, <laughs> then I would come up with Morse. But yeah, you thought this- about Disturbia before contact for David Morse? Yes. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I only saw Disturbia once. I mean, you got to think that, like, Fred Durst probably did have some success with the TRL crowd. Because yeah. he, he said that he, I think he, he definitely said that he had sex with uh, Christina Aguilera, or they fooled around or something like that. Yeah, I wouldn't brag about that. Christina Aguilera in her prime? In her prime, she was like 17. No, no. She was like she was seventeen when she did Genie in a Bottle. Yeah. And then all the stuff afterwards. Um not finding her attractive. Really? Not even in the, the uh stripped album, the dirty no. era? Really? No. <laughs> she was filthy. And I'm not above <laughs> I'm not above dirty girls. You know, like I was trying to explain this to my wife the other day. I forget how we got on this subject, but basically is is this person attractive? And I said, yeah, in that you know trashy trailer park kind of way. And she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, now maybe I'm unique and I'm exposing myself to the world right now. But like in college, like my guy friends and I would talk about that as a thing. Like mm-hmm. you know, like she's got a bunch of tears in her shirt and super dirty jeans yeah. and like jelly shoes and like hair that hasn't been washed in a couple of days, but. There's still something hot about oh, her. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway. But she, that, that dirty video is disgusting. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was one of the early... I think I wrote since for that. That was one of the early ones <laughs> for that channel. Wasn't... That was some... Uh, was a stand-up comic who was saying something. And I think we even said this in the Sins video, too. That it's... it's it's the only video I've ever seen where somebody's taking a shower, but they seem like more dirty <laughs> by the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> It's like all the pop stars do this, where they they have a turn where they're like, I'm going to express my individuality, and it'll be either Miley Cyrus or Christina Aguilera, where it's like they go way over the top, or Britney Spears with her. Miley, of course, corrected pretty well. Yeah. She just became the lovable stoner. She went, yeah, well, and she's even given that up now. Oh, has she? Oh, yeah. She's claimed to have given up weed, like, I think a year ago or so. Really? I think that was part of why... Dude Man got back with her because... Oh, Luke Hemsworth? Yeah, you know, he wasn't so big a fan of the druggy stuff, Yeah, I don't guess. Well, she would hang around with uh, Wayne Coyne from Flaming Lips. Yeah. The front man. Still does. So, uh, yeah, still does. And they're like really into like psychedelia and things like that and a lot of drugs and everything. And like he had stories where, yeah, be times where we'd just all strip naked and just 
you know, hang out. And that was Miley. She liked to strip naked and do drugs. Yeah. I mean, you know. Those are some weird parties, I bet. I bet. I bet. <laughs> Got all the money in the world. No, no, no real responsibility unless you want it. And I mean, I'm sure there was lots of nudity and drugs. Yeah. And drug nudity. <laughs> Drudity. Drudity. <laughs> Nugs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you want to do some nugs tonight? Yeah. What is that? Naked drugs. <laughs> What's funny is I'm sure there probably are stoners who refer to their herb as nugs. Oh yeah, I had a, I had a, a friend in Chicago that said she wanted to, and this was said when she was obviously very stoned. She was like, "I want to get a tattoo across my stomach that says Nug Life." 